Ladies and gentlemen, we, the prosecution is not going to get that man today. No, because I'm going to get him. This is the Hagman Report for today. It is Monday, January 15th, 2018. You're about to witness, I, I do believe this week you're about to witness a bad week for the deep state. We saw last week a number of things take place. We saw, of course, uh, the interesting, um, just a recap last week, and, and I think that people really need to kind of recalibrate their compasses, come by. Is that the plural of compasses come by? Their compasses with respect to what happened last week. We saw Diane Feinstein making the unilateral decision to release the um, transcripts of Glenn Simpson from Fusion GPS to the general public. I thought that was rather interesting. Well, what's up with that, you might ask? Very simply, and we've talked about this. I've talked about this on my morning show. We've talked about this in studio. And, and I think I'm going to mention this last week. The answer is really simple. If you're going to lie to federal investigators, you see what happened to Mike Flynn. If you're going to lie to federal investigators, you need to get your story straight. I believe, and uh, we can open this up for discussion, but I believe that was to to get make sure that everyone had their story straight. Think about this. If you're going to interrogate or interview a suspect or suspects, let's say suspects, you don't put them all in one room and sit them down and interrogate or interview them together. Unless you're Hillary Clinton and the FBI. There you go. No, that's right. If you want the truth, you separate them and then take their statements individually. So they, they can't collude and, uh, you talk about collusion. So they can't get their story straight. This was a countermeasure by the Democrats, by the progressives. I shouldn't say Democrats, but you know what I mean when I say that. By the opposition, the deep state opposition to give the, uh, deep state members a leg up on the testimony. So they're all on the same page. That's, I think that was the primary, uh, as much as we all want sunshine on the entire process. And I agree. I think that we should all have, or the American people should, should be trusted enough with the exception of classified compartmentalized information at that level. I think we should be allowed to see the, uh, the, the work product of the Congressional committees. You've got the House Intelligence and Senate Judiciary Committees right now working. The one of the things, Joe, and, and this is, and then we can. And I just want to mention this because I think this is so critical. That is, since at least July of 2016, the top management of the FBI and the Department of Justice. Um. We, they have been under investigation. Not necessarily, not, not the way you think by the Inspector General, Michael Horowitz. Now to those people, I did, a, I did a, a short news video today about this. And to those people who, who will say, well, yeah, but Horowitz is an Obama appointee. Look at Horowitz's connections. Look at this. Look at that. I understand all of that. However, I think the important part here is when you have uh, what has been displayed, the actions that, ha- that have been displayed by Horowitz, the investor, uh, the inspector general for the depart over the Department of Justice and the FBI. When you see 
the actions. When you see his, um, well, he had not, uh, d- during Obama's reign, he had not, well, he, he was, he was tied up. He, he, he was not allowed to really go and do his oversight job. And what is an inspector general? We've got 73 across the federal agencies in the United States. What's, in, what's the job of an inspector general? If, if you like to watch police shows on television, think of the inspector general as the internal affairs of that specific or those specific federal departments. So Horowitz is the internal affairs, so to speak, watching the watchers over the Department of Justice. And you, you, you saw from his, the time of his appointment by Obama until Donald Trump got in office, he was muzzled by Obama and, and even uh, managed, if you will, by the very people he was supposed to be overseeing. But there was a distinct change. And I, I'm sorry, I, I said July 2016. I meant to say January of 2017. Now, since at least July 2016, the upper tier of the FBI Department of Justice began a stealth operation. And that stealth operation was a sting operation in, in an effort to entrap Donald Trump in this Russia collusion story. And I think the entire thing is a, was a sting operation. The, the, the further down the road we uh, get on this is we, we can see that this was an attempted setup by the DNC using a weaponized intelligence agencies, the weaponized intelligence agencies, to entrap Donald Trump and his associates. This was not done. And you've got to ask yourself why, and then uh, Joe will bring you on. But uh, you, everyone should ask, how did the investigation, how did the collusion investigation start? What prompted the investigation? Was it some, was it somebody going to the FBI and saying, hey, Look, man, I'm seeing some some questionable activity, some bad activity involving the uh, Donald Trump and his people. I'm seeing some potential treasonous activity, espionage activity. No, no, no. The collusion, and now follow me on this, the collusion narrative was the cover for the sting operation. It was to legitimize, in the eyes of the public and anyone else who would probe, the sting operation. And that was the insurance policy, in part, mentioned by Peter Strzok. And if you if you really think about this, this makes sense. So it's uh, also an offensive tactic in order to keep uh, Trump and the DOJ from looking into the Clinton and bringing back up the uranium one. And it's a lot harder uh, to go back over the email scandals when you have the uh, obstruction at the top levels of the FBI and DOJ when you have the collusion between these agencies and the Obama administration and, and the Hillary Clinton uh, uh, supporters there. And what they did really, the FBI, from James Comey to Peter Strauch to Andy McCabe and so many others to the DOJ and, and Rod Rosenstein and, and so many there, what they have done uh, is hijack these organizations, these law enforcement organizations, for the purposes of what you said, laying a, a trap, trying to undermine the Donald Trump presidency and administration. And not only that, it also, I believe, uh, took a lot of focus off of Hillary Clinton, the email scandal, and the Uranium One scandal. Exactly. Process. And I'm glad you brought that up, because if you look at this through a, a wider angle lens, a, a view from space, shall we say, 
if you look at this in total, you've got eight years of Obama in the in the Oval Office creating both domestic and foreign policy. You've got eight years of Obama. Uh, look at his geopolitical look at his uh, politics with respect to the Middle East. What happened during that eight years? You saw this massive restructuring of power in the Middle East. This is important. And this plays into what we're seeing today goes back to Obama. And by the way, everything that we're talking about, the sting operation, the weaponizing of the intelligence, Obama either knew or was complicit in and directed uh, the operation. So either at the very, at the very least, he knew exactly what was taking place and why it was taking place. And at worst, and this I believe to be the case, based on reason, speculation, research, and uh, discussions with with uh, people who do know what's going on, uh, he directed parts of this because they had to cover for their role in restructuring the Middle East. And think about what what was going on too. What's the biggest one of the biggest quote accomplishments of the Obama regime, and specifically Barack Hussein Obama? We talked about this with with a number of guests. That was the Iran deal. And, and Joe, think a little. Let's let's talk this out because I, I really want to have a I really want to have a conversation. And I think from this conversation, I think a lot of people will finally the light bulb will go on like in the cartoons and say, "Oh, I get it now. Now I get it." Because, okay, we saw Arab Spring, which was not it was not a spontaneous uprising. It was not a uh, an organic uprising. It was engineered by the Western intelligence agencies, United States, France, Israel, Britain, and so on. Right. So we see we see that the the infrastructure, the ground was being fertilized over over the, over in the Middle East, and then that ultimately, of course, we saw Benghazi. Benghazi took place after Libya was toppled by who? By Hillary Diane Rodham, the uh, Clinton. And Hillary Clinton was in office from January 21st of 2009 until February 1st of 2013. Now, I mentioned inspectors general before, and I want to bring this, I want to make sure everyone understands this point. Out of all of the federal departments, Every department, every federal department has their own internal affairs officer, the inspector general. And during Obama's reign, there was one vacancy. And that vacancy coincided. That vacancy ran from January 21st, 2009 through February 1st of 2013. And it was in the, in the Department of State, the State Department. They had no oversight, no permanent oversight. There was an acting attorney or inspector general, however, not a permanent one. And it was the acting inspector general did nothing in terms of oversight. Is that convenient or is that complicit and conspiratorial? It's deliberate. All right, so, and you mentioned something else, Joe. I think that this is critical to understand. Uranium-1. What did we see last week? We saw an indictment, or uh, we have one indictment, eleven counts, right? Yeah, and and I don't who who was the indictment uh, for? Mark Lambert. Okay. All right. Now this is where it gets. Now now the pieces are starting to fall into place, and this is why I believe if you understand the bigger picture, you can see why the pucker factor 
and hopefully that word doesn't offend too many people, the pucker factor of of the deep state globalists right now is off the charts. They are sweating because their narrative is unraveling. The move by Feinstein was an act of desperation to release that. Yeah, I agree. Absolutely an act of de- desperation. So do you think her comments about she was pressured, do you think she was being pressured by uh, members of her own party and, and you know, here, you you got to put this out for us. We have to get this out because yeah. we're sick and tired of the, the right taking snippets of it and using it against us and uh, this investigation can't continue on the track it's on. To pressure this, and we'll, yeah. we'll this will fix some some of the things, or or get us around uh, certain yeah. attention. I, look, I, I don't know if pressured is the right word. I, I would say she was part of a collusion, a, a conspiracy. I think that there, because you have to remember, the intelligence gang of eight, the people in Congress, of which she was part knew about, for example, Uranium One, knew about the weaponization of the intelligence agencies. They knew everything and didn't really do anything. So when you say, was she pressured, there is a split between, some will say Democrats and Republicans, within the Gang of Eight. I think it's clear that you you cannot make that distinction anymore. It's either the globalists or the uh, nationalists. So the globalists or the well, nationalist or the progressive communist or versus the conservative. So on the former side, I think that there was some, I'm sure some, a meeting, an ad hoc meeting of which Feinstein said, okay, I'll release it. I'll take the heat for it. And you know, uh, hey, mad cow, right? It's just one of those things. That's what I think happened, but that tells a lot. So, but uranium one, plays an integral role in this because we have seen, and and this was the topic of my video, and if you haven't seen the video, I ask that you do look at it. It's I think it's seven, eight minutes. I don't know. But it kind of sums up what what we're talking about here right now Uh, with respect to the Inspector General and the uh, Horowitz, what he's doing, and what we expect to see. Please share it. uh, Give it a thumbs up. Whatever. Just if you don't mind. But this is so important with the, with Uranium One and how this figures in because um, consider this. Why, when the United States has to import... Okay, well, let me back up. I, and again, I said this on my show this morning. The one-fifth of our energy consumption in the United States comes from what? comes from nuclear power. So 20% of our energy consumption in the United States comes from nuclear power, one-fifth. Yet, how much do we produce? How how much of that nuclear fuel or the uranium do we produce here in the United States? 20%. So we only produce about 20% of the nuclear fuel that is required to power our nuclear uh, stations. Okay. So why in, why would we allow a Russian entity, Rosatom, which is directly connected to Vladimir Putin and the Russians, why would we sell one-fifth of our uranium to the Russians? via Uranium One and allow the exportation of uranium out of this country if we need it ourselves. 
It doesn't make any sense unless you view it through the lens of the diplomat, the geopolitical diplomatic uh, catastrophe that was Barack Hussein Obama. What was he doing with respect to the power shift in the Middle East? What was he doing with Uranium One? Well, if you look at what he was doing in the Middle East, he was moving the center of power away from Saudi Arabia to Iran. That's why we had the Iranian deal. Okay? And that's why the Iranian deal was so important to Obama, and in part, Clinton was a part of that. How was she a part of that? Remember the Russian reset. Remember that stupid red button, Russian reset? Remember when Obama said uh, the 1980s is calling and and, uh, they want your Russian foreign policy back? I I don't recall the car. I don't recall who Obama said that to, meaning to say that Russia at that time was viewed not viewed as an enemy of the United States. Think about that for a second. Now all of a sudden Russia is bad. Back then, Obama... Not an enemy. Russia's not an enemy. Hillary Clinton, red reset button, not an enemy. Now it's an enemy, of course. But the reason we allowed, or he allowed, they allowed the Uranium One to go through, that deal to go through, and even hid that from CFIUS and Congress, was because Russia, in order for, for the, the Iranian deal to go through, not, not Uranium, but Iranian deal, or the, the Iran deal to go through, they had to make sure the uranium deal went through. Why? Because Iran is a nation-state proxy of which country? Of Russia. So here you have Russia, Iran, working together. And, and of course, you've got some wild cards out there like Syria and such, which, by the way, was, as I've often said, was caused Benghazi. So you had Russia... Uh, Backing Iran, United States wanting to ink a deal with Iran, and, and actually uh, at the behest of the Russians, the Russian leadership, Vladimir Putin, to allow the nuclear uh, them, them to have nuclear energy in quotation marks. So they had to, of course, in order not to to avoid upsetting the I- Iran deal, they had to allow the Uranium One deal to go through. And this is also why, Joe, you can chime in on this. In the context of what I just said, Hezbollah is a proxy of what nation state? Of Iran. Okay. So, Project Cassandra. Can we do the math on that? Connect the dots on that. Obama, what? He stopped Project Cassandra. He stopped the, the investigation of Hezbollah terrorists. Because, boy, that would really hack off a lot of Iranians who were, who actually support Hezbollah. So now the Project Cassandra stopping that, doesn't that make sense now? Oh, that's why he did it. Because he didn't want to inflame Iran. He wanted to, to really wash their fleet of cars and, and stay on their good side. And also, any any mixing you know mixing it up with Iran would also jeopardize the relationship, as it were, with Russia. And they did all of this. Did you notice the? And I know you just went over a whole lot of information here and summarized this all uh, really well. 
Did you see, I just was doing some searches here, and it doesn't look like one mainstream outlet picked up the story of this indictment against, uh, who was this Mark again? Lambert. Mark Lambert. Yeah. And the Hill has a great article up from about 10 hours ago that talk about this indictment and calls for, it says Clinton campaign deserves a full investigation, uh, just like Trump. And it goes on to, to detail and document the controversy surrounding the Uranium One scandal as uh, last week the Justice Department secured an 11-count indictment against Mark Lambert, the head of the Maryland-based transportation company. And then it goes through the history of Uranium One. It says the Lambert indictment describes both a cover-up and a bribery scheme tied directly to specific allegations in the Uranium One case, yet the response in the media has been crickets. It does not matter that Uranium One investigation was never closed, as many say it has been closed. That's right. Or that it is now a major prosecution involving alleged influence peddling bribery and cover-ups. Well, yes. Stop there, because think about this: Uranium One, where the bribery and the kickbacks come in, we are mining. Okay, we're we're allowing we are allowing mining companies come into the United States, mine uranium, yellow cake, and export it out of the country, despite, oh, the Washington Post, the Post, the fact-checkers. No uranium left. fact, I got got one right here. There's Snopes. Did uh, Hillary Clinton approve the sale of 20% of uranium to Russia? They say, no, it's false, for two reasons. One, because there was more than one person, Hillary Clinton, making the decision. Yeah, the, 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 Sophia says nine, right. And two, right. it was because the 20% is not accurate, whether it's 19.9 or 20.1, I'm not sure, but they took issue with the number. But uh, on even an article from a year ago, March 28, 2017, fact-checking Donald Trump's tweets about Hillary Clinton and Russia, uh, they go on to label everything false, from Bill Clinton being paid uh, you know, extra money to backdoor deals, cover-ups, and uh, bribery in the Uranium One deal. But now that the in- one indictment has dropped, and the news media, the mainstream media, is not picking it up, I it, guess isn't that, that interesting? No evil, it doesn't exist. No evil, speak no evil, right. So if they don't report on it, they don't ever have to address it. Of I course. I, I don't know. Um, maybe they're uh, just waiting to get a, a better scoop. Well, they're still working on the s-hole comment, you know, the the non-existent s-hole comment, right? And that's the thing that the non-existent. Uh, it, it has even come out that who's a Senator Dick Durbin, the other uh, congressmen and senators who were in that meeting, say that uh, Dick Durbin misconstrued or, or is just just made up that comment. Trump said he did use tough language, but for the, to see the news media for seventy-two hours. You, you can't change the channel without hearing the word S-hole country. It's like they enjoy saying it. They've been saying it at least every 10 minutes since, since this came out. And it's not even a quote that you can attribute to Donald Trump. If he did say that, which, okay, let's just stipulate he did say it. I know, but let's just stipulate just for the sake of this discussion that they did say that. Can you imagine him, um, in the, in the Oval Office saying to, um, one of his advisors would say, come here, come here. I'll bet you I can get CNN to say the S word, you know, a hundred <laughs> times today. No. Yeah, I'll bet you 50 bucks I can get him to say that. Uh, I'm just, I know I'm, I'm playing around with you, of course, but, but you get the idea. But yes, it, it, it's, you're right. This is cover up, uh, in, in spades. Oops, there's a racist word. Uh, by the way, I had mentioned about the inspectors general. You know how, 
everyone says the Obama regime never, I mean, it was scandal-free, the least yeah. scandal-ridden. Yeah. Okay. And the most transparent, right? Mm-hmm. Let me go back real quick. August 8th of 2014, the Associated Press. 47 inspectors general signed letter blasting obstruction by most transparent administration in history. Actually, 47 inspectors general sent a letter. Uh, let's see. At least three government agencies obstructed independent investigations into alleged wrongdoing, according to a letter sent by or sent to congressional oversight leaders. This is back in, um, uh, when I say August 8th of 2014, by 47 inspectors general. So there you go. And, and I find that very, very telling. But, um, the issue, the issues, as I, as I stated, if we start connecting the dots, the Russian reset failed. The, uh, in fact, it never really was one. And, it, and when, when did it fail the most? When did the, when did the, uh, uh Obama people and, when did the Obama people really have their uh-oh moment and realizing, hey, this is painting Russia as, um, you know, not bad. The Russian reset, remember that painting, painting Russia not bad? Is when in 2014, August of 2014, you had Russia do what? They invaded Crimea or Ukraine and Crimea. And how are you going to sell that? How are you going to be able to, to really sell any good relations with Russia? when they just invaded or, or paint them as a non-aggressive entity, non-aggressive government, non-aggressive country. And again, remember, during that eight years, it was Russia is our friend until Donald Trump, Donald Trump got in office, and now Russia, Russia is a threat. You remember that, and all of you progressives out there, the two that are listening, or three, if you count, you know, now, never mind. But, but you, you, you understand that, uh, Russia really was not a threat until, of course, Donald Trump became the, uh, commander in chief and president of the United States. Show me a kick it to you. Break just snuck up on us. Yeah, it did. We are gonna take a short break when we come back. We got another half hour of news. We got a lot of stuff we're gonna get into that we did not cover in this first segment. Then we're gonna be joined by John Rappaport of No More Fake News. Check out his website, nomorefakenews.com. He's got some interesting articles up there, which we are going to get into today, dealing with technocracy, the medical establishment, and freedom, basic freedom. And then we're going to close out the show in Hour 3 by bringing on Pastor Paul Begley. And we uh, have been friends with Paul Begley for a long time. Always great to have him on. This show with John Rappaport and Begley was scheduled and was knocked off twice. So we're finally going to get this this one in the books. We'll be right back after this. This is the Hagman Report for today. It's Monday, January 15th, 2018. It's Martin Luther King Day. Uh, for those who have the banks are closed, the schools are closed, normal governmental operations are closed, obviously, just to uh, commemorate, obviously, the uh, Martin Luther King holiday uh, here in the United States. It's rather interesting, especially in this environment. Uh, 
but without getting too far into that, as Joe said, we're going to have John Rappaport at the top of this hour, and then of course Paul Begley at the top of hour three. The I, I just want to mention a couple of other things on this story. I believe that that again, I do believe that this is going to be a very bad week for the deep staters, and I'll tell you the story, the the bigger story or the biggest story, I believe, is going to be uh, the how Horowitz, the Horowitz Inspector General's investigation, the development of 1.2 million investigative documents during the investigation that took a year's worth of investigation. Now, this is not just a here, you know, uh, tossing the 1.2 million documents on on the desk of uh, Congress and say, here, go ahead and read them. This is... To, it's my understanding this is a very well-defined, very well-delineated investigation. So this is not something that is actually going to be or create a choke point of the investigation. But I think what we're seeing, or what we will see in the next coming days, weeks, and months is House Intelligence Committee Chairman Devin Nunes compel a laundry list of people to testify. And what they're going to be testifying about include everything from uranium one to um, even in, even the Clinton emails because the the emails were part of this, but more specifically, the Department of Justice and the FBI coup uh, the weaponization of those intelligence agencies by Obama and his by and his people to entrap and snare Donald Trump into a non-existent collusion story. This is how, I mean, this is the bottom line. They, meaning the DNC, Clinton, Obama, that whole crew working together attempted to create or entrap Donald Trump in his campaign. And you can think of it this way. If you... um, if, if you're, I'm just trying to think of a, an analogy. If you're sitting in a bar, sitting by yourself at a bar, and someone comes up to you and says, "Hey, uh, you know, I've been thinking I, I want to kill my wife, and I'm looking for a hit, man. You, you, you know, you up for it?" And then, you know, the guy looks at the other person and says, "Get away from me!" Of course not. But that person keeps doing that, keeps soliciting that that illegal activity. That, of course, is attempted entrapment, especially when, when it's out of the blue. That's kind of pretty much consistent with the uh, entrapment of, or attempted entrapment of Donald Trump. But when that didn't work, when it failed, the, the dossier was created as a cover, as a foil or, or cover more specifically for the, the attempted entrapment and then the basis for the already ongoing FISA 702 violations. Now the FISA, of course, 702, um, under the uh, Surveillance Act. That's what was going on. So we're going to see a lot of that make the news, I think, this week. And when you look at this and you start looking and seeing the, uh, the names, of course, you've got, on, you've got two sides to this. You've got the Department of Justice side and you've got the, under, Holder, well, that's before, but Lynch, and then if you, you've got the uh, the FBI side under who? Under Mueller, and then Comey, and then all of the people underneath both, yeah, but they all go back to Clapper 
and Clapper, of course, being uh, answering to Obama. And through his presidential daily briefings, Obama had to be apprised of the unmasking of the intelligence uh, weaponization and the use of the intelligence agencies via the presidential daily briefings. So this will show, and I think ultimately you will see, to what degree I don't know, but you will see that Obama knew from day one what was going on. And that this is why, and I said this in my morning show, I I restated it today, but I've said this in the past. If you look at the actions of Admiral Mike Rogers, the head of the NSA, knowing of this wiretapping threat, knowing of this surveillance of Donald Trump, what did he do on November 17th, Admiral Mike Rogers, without checking with his superiors, without checking with Clapper, without checking with anybody? He went to the president-elect at Trump Tower, had a meeting with him, and what happened the very next day? Donald Trump and his entire transition team and his staff moved out of Trump Tower to the golf course resort in New Jersey. Do you think that they did that just to be around a golf course out of the city? No. The timing is important. So, um, when you look at this, and, and by the way, the uh, a recent tweet by James Comey, and I think everyone should uh, check this out or, or be aware of this. It was on January 11th, 2018. This is unbelievable. Talk about consciousness of guilt. This should state a lot about James Comey. You remember the discussion about the FISA Section 702 uh, uh, reaffirming the NDAA and such. Here's a tweet from James Comey, January 11th, 2018, at 6.44 a.m. Thoughtful leaders on both sides of the aisle know FISA Section 702 is a vital and carefully overseen tool to protect this country. This isn't about politics. Congress must reauthorize it. Well, isn't that convenient, as the church leader used to say? And if you look at a 99-page um, oversight review of the, uh, it's a 99-page brief, 2017. It's it's a it's an audit of the FISA court, and it's accessible online. It's 99 pages, 2017, on page 83. Now, this is extremely important within this oversight document. FBI gave raw Section 702 acquired information data to a private entity that was not a federal agency and whose personnel were not sufficiently supervised by a federal agency for compliance minimization procedures. Now let that sink in for a second. What are, by the way, what are minimization procedures? That is to, a minimization procedure would be to protect, for example, uh, an innocent or a USA U.S. citizen from the unmasking process or uh, further intrusive surveillance. So right there, the oversight of the 702 FISA process, as stated on page 80, or yeah, page 83 of this 99-page brief, this 2017 FISA court opinion review admits that there were, uh, that there were uh, abuses of the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act. But did you hear the language? Acquired information was given to a private entity that was not a federal agency 
and whose personnel were not sufficiently supervised by any federal agency for compliance minimization procedures. Have you thought maybe? Who could, who could they be talking about, about this non-governmental agency? Any ideas? Anyone want to guess who this non-governmental agency might be? Oh, come on. Take us, take a stab at it. You can do it. In fact, if you're, I, I do have the, the, uh, chat up here. Anyone pay attention to what I'm saying? Anyone in chat want to take a stab at this? I'll even give you one more read here. FBI, excuse me, FBI gave Ross Section 702 acquired information to a private entity that was not a federal agency and whose personnel were not, was not, were not sufficiently supervised by a federal agency for compliance minimization procedures. That's right. Who is that? Uh, I can't read it from here, but Fusion GPS, correct, is the correct answer. So, there it is. So now you've got abuses. You've got... I mean, you see where this is going? It it seems everything that the Obama administration and the administrations under Obama's uh, administration from the State Department, it seems like they all have their... They're all scandal-ridden, and they're all criminal. And they have completely uh, been used and turned around into tools of uh, political weapons against their opponents from the IRS and the Tea Party to uh, what we see. Remember the Obama kill list or, or the journalist uh, list that he had? Yep. <clears throat> um, this is the MO, and this is how the left operates. And I think it's time that we understand um, this is not some kind of special administration. This is what has been going on in this country on the left and right for the last 10, 20 years, from Bush to, to, to Bill Clinton to Obama. And we've seen a change with Donald Trump as we've seen a change in uh, who the the American people elected. Obviously, Donald Trump, not a politician, an outsider, a, su- a successful businessman. And I believe that they did so because they are sick and tired of the, the uh, business as usual and, and what we see coming out of Washington. But it has only emboldened the other side of the aisle. And they're only getting worse That's right. with I mean, their scandal. It's, you're, you're right on the money. They're absolutely desperate. And they're running, uh, they're doing damage control right now. Because again, you had Donald Trump, uh, no one expected him to be president within the deep state. In fact, they thought they had a lock on it. It was June 16th, 2015. Donald Trump made the announcement on the escalator of the Trump Tower, I'm gonna throw my hat in to run for president. That was 2015, June 16th. On May 3rd of 2016, and, and these timelines are very important, May 3rd of 2016 is when Donald Trump became the presumptive nominee, and that's when uh, Ted Cruz dropped out. And it was on July 21st. Remember, the Republican convention was between the 18th and 21st. Uh, it was on July 21st when Donald Trump accepted the Republican nomination to become president. And then, of course, Election Day on November 8th, 2016, and the inauguration was on January 20th of 2017. Uh, however, the important part of this, we saw during that time period, from really from May of 2016 through the inauguration, the intelligence agencies doing a lot of... Uh, illegal, unethical stuff at the behest of the top-tier levels of the FBI and the Department of Justice to the extent that the question must be asked, and I think it's already been answered by Congress by through Devin Nunes and others. Was that 
35-page Fusion GPS-generated, Hillary Clinton-generated, DNC-generated, FBI-generated dossier used as a basis for the FISA warrant. Yes. Now, uh, one more thing. I just want to make a clarification here. Again, I think this is an important distinction. And again, I covered this in my radio show. When when you're looking at this, uh, the, the process to get a FISA warrant. And I think that, that phrase gets tossed around without a lot of people, uh, including myself, not really paying attention to its usage. Since 2005, the NSA collects, just vacuums up all, all of the digital data. Every, everything. 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 Catalog. Yep. And then you the keyword it. searches. That's right. There's databases that, uh, and, and uh, searches that can be done in multiple ways to cross-reference and, and to check those uh, logs because there's That's no right. humans that can go through all that information, but they do have algorithms and, and systems in place well, to right to go through and, and understand the information. And, and, and this is more than metadata. This is more than just the the uh, headers, if you will. This is everything, including the conversations. So, which I, I really believe is the reason why. We switch from analog to digital because of the storage needs in order to do this. Tell me, in my, at least in my view, when we, when we used analog, I thought it was a lot better in terms of cell phone communications than digital. I just saw degradation of, of the signal, but that's just me. But nonetheless, it, it had its, its benefits for storage, storage needs. So you've got two parts of, and you're right, you've got two parts of the, uh, uh, data collection process. You've got, well, you've got the two parts, shall I say, of the uh, FISA process. You've got the access, and then, of course, you've got the um, you, you've got the the access, and then you've got the I'll just say unmasking or unveiling. And under the uh, access, you've got subsets of that. You've got the um, You've got a couple of parts. You've got the uh, the query search and the query the, the the terms used for the query query search, whether it's the subject or the uh, to and from. It's either by the, the the topic, shall we say, or the subject, or and or person, or uh, I'm sorry, the the topic or subject and or the person. So you've got two different subsets of the first set. Bottom line is. The information is already harvested. It's already maintained. So what does this FISA warrant do? It allows the, if approved, it allows the government agency to access what has already been collected and then from there to be used. But there's one other issue in this, um, in, in this, uh, issue. There's one other issue that I want to bring, bring up. And this is from, this is from, uh, my goodness. Okay. This is from a, an article from CNN. And you've got to go back to April of last year when information about the April 13th of 2017 CNN, when the information about the intelligence was kind of just coming of age and CNN and others MSNBC were getting their mitts into the dossier, getting their mitts into really, okay, let's really malign Donald Trump. Let's really make sure that we can push this Russian collusion narrative. British intelligence, the headline of this 
April 13, 2017, CNN article states that British intelligence passed Trump Associates communications with Russia on the U.S. counterparts. What this article is saying, and I think it has a lot to do with what, uh, if you re- remember what Judge Napolitano had said a number of times, is that oftentimes it would, it is, it was both presumed and believed, and in some cases somewhat verified, in this case verified, that Obama and the intelligence agencies circumvented the FISA process by by using other intelligence agencies, including but not limited to GCHQ by British intelligence agencies, to spy on Donald Trump, to, to spy on the political opposition, and provide it to their American counterparts. Don't believe me? It's right here, CNN. So, don't believe them either. Well, <laughs> at least, you know, yeah, you're right, but... but I, I think that's extremely important to understand. Yeah. No, absolutely. Uh, and this is what you've been getting into on the, on your, um, daily morning show? Cause I see tons of feedback coming in on the emails. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, and I read all the feedback on, on, I know you do. Uh, I read it all and I take it to heart and thank you. So studio at Hagman and Hagman.com if you want to provide feedback. And that goes for your show too. Yours and John's two to three. Uh, I'm sure you want feedback or yes, you read everything. Absolutely. So studio at Hagman and Hagman.com as well. So I'm going to kick it over to you. Well, we got about nine minutes left in this segment and I'll just take the rest of it. We're going to go through a number of issues here, uh, kind of a lightning round. First, um, Hawaii. We saw over the weekend, this crazy uh, news story of a, a missile alert error emergency message was sent out to um, citizens in Hawaii on Sunday morning, I believe, leaving many scrambling and, and uh, leaving uncertainty for almost a half an hour. And, I mean, this is crazy. Just imagine you are in your house on a Sunday morning or you're with your family, your church, whatever you're doing, and you get an alert on your phone that a ballistic missile had been launched. And this was not a drill, and you need to uh, seek shelter. Joe, I just the only thing I'm going to chime in here is say, you know, you know, you think your day's going bad, and then you get that, right? Yeah, uh, that's it's pretty sad to read some of the communications, some of the tweets, by the way. Yeah, people were were genuinely scared for their for their families, for their children. They didn't know what was happening. As you know, they just get this random alert that says that this is not a drill. They're is an incoming ballistic missile. And some of the uh, feedback in, in um, reporting, clearly there's a massive gap letting of letting people know something's coming and having something for them to do. Nobody knew what to do, that from a emer- local emergency management personnel. Lisa Fox, a social worker and mother of two young children in East Honolulu, said the best thing to, uh, to come out of the scare was that it pushed her family to come up with a plan in case there is a real threat. And see, we talk about this all the time on our show. You know, you have your, your bug out bag, your go bag, and your, your location, your bug out location, a plan in place to where if something happens, you and your family, uh, can, can execute that plan to uh, try to get yourself to safety with your supplies. And this was the situation that many found, that everyone found themselves in, in Hawaii, but they seemed to have had issues because nobody knew what to do. The blunder caused more than a million people in Hawaii to fear they were about to be struck by a nuclear missile. And this fed skepticism of the government's ability to keep them informed during a real emergency. Can, can, I, can I just say one thing? I, I don't believe it was a button. No, Press I don't the wrong either. button. Okay, so this, is, go ahead. this is what I wanted to get into because what they 
are reporting here is that this was a system failure as an investigation into uh, what went wrong is undertaken by the FCC, which sets rules for the emergency alerts sent by wireless over local, state, and federal officials to warn of the threats of hurricanes, natural disasters, missing children, and others. The state of Hawaii did not have a reasonable safeguards or processes controls in place to prevent the transmission of a false alert. That, according to Chairman uh, Pai of the FCC, he's called the mistake absolutely unacceptable. Now, what they are saying is that he accidentally clicked a button, and the button he was supposed to press, uh, he did not press, apparently, instead pressing a button that sent out an emergency alert. But my question is, I don't believe that they, do they have this, first of all, do they have this message pre-typed already? And then two, I don't believe it's as simple as pressing a wrong button to send out something like that. There has to be safeguards in place. Pressing a button and putting in a password. I agree. Or uh, it could have been something like, you know, two guys sitting there, hey, Bill, you dare me to do this? Or it could be something much more nefarious. And this was on a 125-year anniversary of, um, oh, goodness, of something happening in Hawaii 125 years ago, dealing with, uh, it it had something to do with the invasion uh, and... um, of a queen back then. I'll have to get, I read it earlier, I'll have to get it. But the timing and what we see in the media with Trump and North Korea, how they're trying to paint Trump as some, you know, maniac because he's in a, in a Twitter battle with, with Kim Jong un and they think it can lead to nuclear war, even to the point where they, they say Trump, uh, could, you know, destroy the whole human race by his tweets. And you have all this hyped up, uh, media hype surrounding North Korea and the threat of North Korea to Hawaii and Guam. And then you get this message. I think it, it, it really probably messed a lot of people up mentally. Now, now, and it's still... This is not a federal, um, for example, this is a state-operated. Right. You have the emergency management. You have local, state, and federal. Okay. This was the state and local emergency management. Okay. And, yeah, this is this is uh, all, you know, state personnel. It has nothing to do with the federal. So, uh, so the op- the operation was at a state level, but the oversight ultimately would be mm-hmm. a federal issue. Yeah. The uh, okay. person who made the mistake has been reassigned, according to reports. But I don't know. Uh, you know, they say there's an investigation that's launched. What will they, if it really was something intentional, I don't think they would really come out and report that because, again, they want people to be able to trust in these alert systems. And uh, this is a, a huge step backwards from doing that. But a very weird, a very weird weekend with, with that news. Also, the flu. I know John Rappaport is coming on. We're going to talk with him about this. The medical community is saying that this is going to be the worst flu season in recent history. The medical experts are bracing for one of the worst flu seasons. The May flu, main flu strain for 2017-2018 is known as the H3N2 virus. It is more deadly than the swine flu. And they say the flu is now widespread in about 46 states, but they think it's going to get a lot worse because the the uh, vaccine or flu virus, the flu shot that they have, is only effective up to 10% is being reported. So you have uh, just a lot of deaths associated with this flu. I know we have had at least three here, but in Dallas, I listened to the Dallas feed uh, for Laura Ingram some mornings, and they're dealing, you know, with 50, 60 deaths already, and we see uh, a whole bunch of problems, a whole bunch of issues coming up with the uh, this strain of the flu. Even Stan Deo um, was battling a nasty flu 
So everybody, you know, wash your hands. Make sure that uh, you take basic, you know, hygiene. Uh, do do your things that you should do. You know, wash your hands, shower. Uh, try not to contaminate yourself or anybody else because this is a nasty, nasty strain. And I think we're just seeing the beginning of it. There has been some uh, information to come out from the Las Vegas investigation, the shooting that happened on October 1st. A report was released, and I don't know who released it, but it's a what I have is a PDF document. It's about 338 pages, and it details so much of the Paddock investigation as far as what emails uh, he had, and, and he was sending them to himself, apparently. There are some reports from the New York Times today detailing uh you know some of the discoveries and, and information well, this is a released. control release by the FBI do you say okay. you, you don't know I, mean, I didn't know if it was a controlled release or uh, if it was uh, leaked yeah. or yeah. whatever but it's a 321 page report and some interesting information the, the one most interesting thing is we're almost out of time in this segment i found was in the report the FBI details email messages that allegedly paddock sent to himself or this is what they're saying could he have been talking with somebody else because in the I don't know how how people do their their own communications, but I have a number of email accounts where I will email something to myself from my phone to my computer or vice versa. But the language uh, that was used in some of these emails almost sounds like it was a it wasn't one person emailing something to himself. Otherwise, if it was, he would be kind of insane for having the, some of the conversations he was having with himself. But the FBI is looking into the possibility that the connection with Paddock. There's another person in connection with Paddock and his. Uh, getting of the guns and ammunition in Las Vegas, and they're going to do some, I don't know what you even call it, some computer forensic investigations to find out if there is another person on the other end of those emails, or if this was just another dummy account by Paddock. But when we have time, we will go through what those emails said as they talked about different types of weapons, the bump stocks, and uh, where to acquire guns in Las Vegas. So much more on that when we have time. But when we come back, John Rappaport from nomorefakenews.com. He will be our guest. Don't go anywhere. January 15th, 2018, we got a great segment lined up for you with John Rappaport from No More Fake News. He's going to be joining us, and we're going to be getting into a number of important subjects with him. Go to nomorefakenews.com, pull up his website. He has a few stories up there on some things we have been talking about on our show as well as on Hagman Report. The first thing he has up there is massive flu outbreak. Here's the real story the media won't touch. We're going to definitely get into this as well as Exit from the Matrix, the individual and the reality, and the reality machine. This is about the technocratic uh, attempts by the medical establishment and the uh, technological elite to hook up humans to supercomputers. And we're going to talk about the threat posed by that type of technology with John Rappaport. Again, no more fake news. Also, go to HagmanReport.com. Peter Chalka has an article that is coming out, and then there's some interesting stories up there today that that are pretty good. Uh, one, we have 
just on a side note, real funny, I don't know how many people saw this, the Saturday Night Live uh, Morning Joe skit. Usually not a fan of, of Saturday Night Live lately. It used to be a fan back in the, the 80s and 90s. But you should have watched it during the 70s. Well, you couldn't have, but that's when it was good. But uh, this was pretty funny as they uh, did a mock Morning Joe skit with Michael Wolf and Bill Murray played Steve Bannon, which I thought was hilarious. But that, that clip is up there if you want to watch it. Also, there is uh, a bunch of other important information from Mueller. Mueller may move beyond collusion to charge Trump. Also, the FBI is being sued for the Garland, Texas, drama Hamid attack by a security guard who was shot in the leg and is now suing the FBI and the Department of Justice in a liability case against them as they helped aid the terrorists in the logistics of this attack. Go to HagmanReport.com and check that out, and we will talk more about that later. Right now, we are joined by John Rappaport of NoMoreFakeNews.com. John, welcome back to the show. Great to be here. Thank you. Hey, hey John, we apologize. We, we know we had to reschedule you, I think, twice, and yeah, it, that's unforgivable, uh, really. But uh, uh, we apologize for that, but we're glad you're here, my friend. Glad I'm here, too. Uh, glad you guys have uh, escaped from the snow. <laughs> well, yeah, it's uh, the snowpocalypse that, uh, honest to goodness, seven feet Seven feet. Wow. You know, so yeah, at least outside of our studios, and that was, uh, I think the seven feet uh, was, what, three days? Two and a half days? It, it was incredible. Uh, but, yeah. Uh, so uh, you've got some, you've been doing some surveillance, some research on the flu outbreak or the flu. I guess, can we start there? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um I I get into this every time there is an announcement of some sort of outbreak. And uh, basically what's happening is there is always a hoax about the cause of disease. This is where my research led me when I was writing my first book called AIDS, Inc. in the 1980s. And... um, in this case, we have to distinguish between flu and flu-like symptoms. So let's start there. For example, every year, as I've documented in the U.S., uh, respiratory samples from so-called flu patients are sent to labs from, for analysis, hundreds of thousands. And overwhelmingly, these samples come back with no trace of any flu whatsoever. This is documented. This has been published in a reputable medical journal. And I quote in my article today the citation. That means that overwhelmingly, at least, let's say, 84% of the people who are diagnosed with the flu don't have the flu. So no matter what you think about vaccination and the theory of vaccination and so forth, there is no possible way that a flu vaccine is going to protect people from something that turns out not to be the flu. Well, John, if I can ask you this, um, one thing I think many of the viewers and listeners out there, if they're like myself, had a different understanding of what a flu shot was. Now, we, I've always... Uh, been under the understanding that part of the flu 
strain from last year is used in the flu shot, and it's given to you so you build up your antibodies and resistance towards this. And they say that usually uh, you don't see this this big of a change, or you can, but uh, usually it's much more effective because you have some of the same strains. But they, they say this is a completely different strain. But you're saying that this might not be the flu at all, as we understand the flu. In any given year. In any year, any, okay. Any year, not just this year. So on top of that, we have another scandal, which is, Researchers, and you can find this in mainstream articles, are saying that this year's flu vaccine is perhaps 10% effective. That in itself would be an incredible scandal. The reason? Because they've discovered that when you produce the flu vaccine, it's done using chicken eggs. And when you put the virus, the flu virus that you're trying to protect people against, in chicken eggs, that virus mutates. And so by the time a person gets the flu shot, he's actually getting protection against the virus, supposedly, which doesn't even exist in the regular seasonal flu this year. But I started to look into this whole matter of chicken eggs and discovered that chicken eggs have been used to make vaccines for 70 years. Well, that would mean that every year, if you want to just look at the flu vaccine, you're talking about the virus mutating in those chicken eggs for every flu vaccine in every year. So how could that possibly protect people against seasonal flu? Impossible. So there's another scandal piled on top of that first one that I mentioned. And the third scandal, uh, which, well, there are many actually, but this is a particular example called the swine flu of 2009, which was supposedly yet another version of the flu. And uh, in 2009, CBS star investigative reporter Cheryl Atkinson began probing into something that she discovered, which was that the Centers for Disease Control in the United States secretly had stopped counting cases of swine flu in the U.S., which is their mandate to count cases and report them. But they had stopped secretly and didn't tell anybody. And the reason was that, again... Overwhelmingly, patients who had been diagnosed with swine flu, their samples were being sent to laboratories all over the U.S. and were coming back with no trace of swine flu or any other kind of flu. So the whole thing was a hoax. There was no swine flu epidemic. Yet people were being uh, pressured and urged to take an experimental swine flu vaccine. This was a giant scandal that she uncovered, and she wrote an article about it that was featured on the CBS uh, news site. So I interviewed her about this, and she told me that they then tried to, she and her editor tried to get this story onto the CBS evening television news broadcast, which of course reaches many more people than their website, and they were completely stonewalled and shut down 
and she was never assigned to do another story on swine flu again. That was a monster scandal that was never revealed by the mainstream, even though they knew about it. And I uncovered, uh, went back in time to when she published that article about the swine flu scandal in 2009, and I discovered that three weeks later, the Centers for Disease Control announced, and people may find this unbelievable, but it happened, and I have the citation again uh, in my article. It was announced in an article at WebMD that the CDC estimated that in reality in 2009, there were about 22 million cases of swine flu in the U.S. 22 million, when in fact, overwhelmingly, all of the samples from diagnosed swine flu patients coming back from labs, the the overwhelming majority of those showed no sign of any kind of flu whatsoever. And the CDC stopped counting. And the CDC stopped counting because they knew that they were faced with a giant scandal and they just wanted to sweep it all under the carpet. So this is amazing stuff. And uh, people find it mind-boggling, very difficult to believe. But the basic symptoms of so-called flu, like cough, fever, chills, muscle aches, etc., etc., fatigue, they can be caused by a variety of conditions. Compromised immune system, lack of basic nutrition combined with stress, environmental uh, poisons, uh, toxic medical drugs, you name it. You can go down the list. These are basic illness symptoms that can be caused by any variety and combination of causes and don't need to have any kind of flu virus at the bottom of it. But Public health agencies, pharmaceutical companies make big money on flu and flu vaccines and flu treatments, and they just keep pushing this and ignoring all the scandals. What does this mean for the the citizens of the country as far as um, that they find themselves getting sick, they think they have the flu, they go to the, the hospital or the doctor, you know, they're told to, to rest, to drink lots of fluids, um, but what, what, what's really going on? You said compromised immune systems, some flu. What, what is causing the, the illness? What is, what, what is this virus then? Well, what I'm saying is this illness is not necessarily one thing at all with one cause. These symptoms, which the doctor will say, well, you have the flu. You know, he just eyeballs, listens to the patient for a few minutes and says, you've got the flu. I'm saying that these symptoms can happen for a variety of reasons. You take somebody who is, uh, let's say, excuse me, elderly in a weakened condition generally. They go out in the freezing cold a couple of times. Their basic nutrition is not very good. They're taking five or six uh, medical drugs that have toxicity associated with them. They're under some stress. They get sick. They get these symptoms. Sure. So what do you do about it? Well, I mean, 
you don't have the flu. That's for sure. I mean, we could get into the whole area of what should people do to strengthen their immune systems. I mean, the whole field of natural health and holistic health is organized around answers to that question, and it depends on who you are and what the problems are that you have, health problems. But to automatically assume that you have a flu virus which is causing the flu is contradicted by these facts and these scandals that I've just outlined here. All right. So if we're understanding you correctly, and I'm sorry for being slow on the uptake, what you're saying is the uh, the, the, the flu numbers or the, the, the cases of alleged di- diagno- diagnosis of the flu are being overstated. Is it, yeah, way over. Okay, I think he said sixteen percent of right. the actual uh, yeah. people who yeah. tissues that are tested have the flu virus. All right. Mm-hmm. Now, okay, and and as you point out in your article, by the way, extremely good article. If people haven't read it, of course, uh, it's available on John's website. Massive uh, flu outbreak. Here's the real story. The media won't touch the lies, the hoax, the scandal. So the lies, of course exist within the numbers within the what the public is being told and the, the the hoax and the scandal that follow or that are included in this to what end john well, I mean, and this is interesting because today with the news and a lot of people reporting on this increase of this flu pandemic they're also announcing plans to for a universal flu shot Right. So their answer to inefficiency seems to be more inefficiency. Or, or, or a deliberate mandatory inefficiency. Or, or is this a deliberate poisoning kind of thing? Oh, well, we can get into that too because, uh, we, in fact, on this show, we've talked about the medical cartel and what are the high level aims of the medical cartel, which are part of the whole globalist program to control and weaken populations to make them easier to take over and control. But on the level of what people ordinarily think of as our medical system, there are enormous profits to be made. I mean, look, if you had the ability to say, there is this disease, we so declare, and it's called the flu or influenza. It's caused by the flu virus, and we know what this virus is and we can identify it, and we have a treatment for it, or several treatments, drugs, but the most important thing is to prevent it by taking a flu vaccine. We, the pharmaceutical industry, are completely exempt from any lawsuits that could be filed uh, because of vaccine injury. The, The U.S. has passed a law that we can't be sued, so we're protected there. We can provide enormous stocks of flu vaccines, which the U.S. government will buy and other people will buy, and we make huge amounts of money. If we admit, on the other hand, that overwhelmingly this is not a condition caused by a particular virus, we don't make anything. Now people will begin to think about what can I do to strengthen my health have a more powerful immune system to ward off disease that's not a medical situation that's a basic you know health situation so there you have the beginning of what I would call the bigger scandal 
And you outlined this in your article in a quote from a Peter Doshi's BMJ review titled, Influenza, Marketing Vaccines by Marketing Disease. And I think that title really says it all. But it goes on to say, even the ideal influenza vaccine matched perfectly to circulating strains of wild influenza and capable of stopping all influenza viruses can only deal with a small part of the flu problem because most flu appears to have nothing to do with influenza. Well, all right, building on on that statement, John, I've been hearing from guests even, oh, I've never been so sick this year. This year's flu, it's really bad, and it really knocked the, the stuffing out of me. What's up with that? Or is that anecdotal evidence that really doesn't, shouldn't even be factored in here? Factored in here? Yeah. <clears throat> I would say it's anecdotal because, uh, you know, the, I've been around for a long time and I've seen other years where people are saying the same thing. Gee, everybody's got a cold. Gee, everybody has the flu. Well, who's everybody? Well, five, six, ten, twelve people I know. Okay, well, I'm not saying that there aren't a lot of people who are sick. But the first thing I would look at, if you want to start to extrapolate, is the weather. Freezing over much of the U.S. People are indoors most of the time, breathing air that comes through their heating systems, which is, in some cases, not the best air at all. They're not getting any fresh air outside. If they go outside, some people are adversely affected by the cold, especially when they live in places where it's not usually all that cold. Uh, here in, uh, on the East Coast, you know, I'm seeing a lot of that, even in the South. So you could start there. I mean, just as a beginning. And then you look for other factors. But in my experience, in trying to break apart these scandals from the one disease with the one cause and, and really, you know, try to analyze it. You've got to look at each person and each case separately. I mean, if you want a cure or you want treatment or you want a health, forget cure treatment. If you want health, better health, you've got to look at each person. And a person might say, well, it's just that, you know, I'm, I've got the flu like everybody else. Okay, but what's been happening with you lately? You know, as any good health practitioner would do when seeing a patient, not for three seconds, but, you know, let's sit down. Tell me what's happening. Things are going to emerge, all kinds of things. If you want to repair if a person wants to repair or improve their own health, they're going to have to deal with whatever factors are present. What are those factors? Well, you have to find out in every case what it is. But if you're looking overall, I would start with the weather. Okay. Well, yeah, and there's the common sense things everybody can do, uh, you know, to try to mitigate uh, your exposure and uh to stay healthy, food and, and your, you know, what you intake on a, on a regular basis during the weather, as you said, stressing out your, stressing out your, your, um, uh, your immune system, the weather, yeah. of course. Yeah, absolutely. Well, this is a very interesting, John, and obviously with, uh, the news of the flu continuing to get worse and worse each day and week that goes by, this is something that we're going to continue to monitor and keep our eyes on, and it'll be interesting to see. Um, what the media and CDC reaction is 
um, you know, to the latest news, and uh, I'll be looking for your reports and for those statistics to come out. I want to kind of switch gears here, John, because you have a piece up on your site, Exit from the Matrix, the individual and the reality machine. You talk about the technocratic uh, dream to merge humans and computers. And I want to ask you this, kind of on a side note, because I've been doing some some research, and the FDA has released their 2018 strategic policy roadmap, and uh, you know they're continuing to do work in the Precision Medicine Initiative, which I believe has a lot to do uh, with you know this this technocratic uh, agenda that you talk about. By the way, this is a brilliant article. Go ahead, Joe. How close are we? Do you think to seeing? humans being hooked up to computers in a way that we interact with it like you were talking about in the article, almost like we interact with our computers while surfing the internet. Uh, you talk about things in here, uh, instantaneous access to truth and facts, at least cont- the facts that they allow you or will allow it to be on the internet. Well, but, but that's the that's the sales pitch. But yeah, because we hear about this the, these uh, human-machine mergers. And you say that the connect once this is done, it'll be instantaneous, and the connection will be automatic. How far away from that do you think we are? I think we're very close to people trying it out, but that piece that I was that you've just read there, uh, that's that is the marketing pitch. Right. That's not me saying that mm-hmm. this is actually going to work. And here's part of the technocratic problem they are bloviating and promoting this whole idea that they will be able to hook up your brain and my brain to a supercomputer or the cloud and that we will be able to instantaneously download gigantic gigantic amounts of usable information let's say this is highly dubious highly dubious we're not talking about some sort of a computer that can provoke physical reactions or uh, give instructions that will make a person feel a certain way we already know that there are mind control experiments that have succeeded at doing that we're talking about information here detailed information as if the brain can incorporate this, first of all, from a machine, and then transmit it to you in some way so that you can understand it and make use of it. They're light years away from being able to do anything like that, even assuming that it's theoretically possible, which they have not established. But that is not going to keep them from trying, believe me because this is a religious cult at the heart of technocracy is a religious cult which is we can make the human into a better machine the human is flawed intrinsically by programming that was installed somehow genetically and we can see the result in wars and devastation and so forth and we the technocrats are here to rescue you by putting in a better program into you via this brain-computer hookup. 
that is their article of faith. That's their church. And so you can't dissuade these people who claim they're scientists, but they're overwhelmingly in a cult. You can't dissuade them from trying this out and hoping that it succeeds. They're going to, they're going to keep on with this. And they're going to even claim that they've gotten results when they haven't. They'll do whatever it takes. Yeah, absolutely they will. And as you said, I don't know if it's theoretically possible to get to the level, the, what you're talking about, this, this, uh, human, uh, computer merger to the point where your Should thoughts generate. They're talking about. Yeah, to, he's to where your thoughts will generate some kind of, you know, instant search results and, and flowing of information in your mind. But one thing I know for sure is the, and this is a far cry from, you know, hooking your brain up to be used with a computer machine, but the medical industry's advancement of medical device technology and, as I said earlier, the precision medicine initiative where they are laying the groundwork for implantable uh, chips with patient identification and health information to be used to monitor, uh, treat, and prevent and diagnose diseases in real time. And there's obviously many more applications uh, for this type of technology. But we see these uh, these innovations and, and uh, technologies being pushed out by the FDA and uh, all their other agencies that they have in the, the health industry world. Do you think we will see something gradual from, you know, those chips uh, to... Eventually, you know, the, the, how, how are they going to roll this out? I guess, John, is what I'm asking. What do you expect? Okay. The, you're right on the money. I mean, this is where they're going on one, let's say one branch of the future. This is monitoring. It's not all that complex. It's simply, we can, you know, measure your heartbeat, blood pressure, other, uh, functions body temperature and so forth in real time and then we can make inferences from this whether they're good inferences or bad inferences about what you have what condition you have and in that case we can make prescriptions somebody arrives at your door you know and lays a bottle down or however it works And, for example, we go back to the whole flu thing. Suppose, and this is not just supposition, the monitoring chips in your body relay certain information to a computer, and that computer is filled with misinformation about what all this means. Okay, this is a diagnosis of the flu, obviously. Boom, 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 boom. Therefore, we uh, look at check vaccine status, hasn't had a vaccine, Okay, we'll put that on the calendar for later when he recovers. Right now, he should be taking a drug called this, that. Okay, we'll have that delivered, whatever. And the person doesn't have the flu. But it's automatic. This is where the so-called precision medicine is going. In fact, uh, they'll be doing this with uh, psychiatric conditions, mental disorders. Questionnaires are already, they already exist that you can take online that will be shoveled across to some kind of medical group that will make some sort of uh, estimate of your mental condition. And then, uh, 
you know, I don't think they're at the stage yet where they're making a specific diagnosis, but they will recommend that you see your doctor. It's Boy, very easy to do this man. stuff. I knew I shouldn't have filled out that questionnaire, and I saw the guy <laughs> yeah. with the butterfly net at the door. Uh, um, you know, uh, you're talking about this. Made me think of something. I, when uh, John had, uh, when we went over the schedule this morning, and knew you were coming on, I just looked at uh, the headline and saw the picture of one of the driverless cars. And this made me think of you because, by the way, folks, our guest John Rappaport, no more fake news. And if you haven't done so already. His intellectual work product exit from the matrix. If you don't have it, let me just say, get it, buy it. It, it. It's the the mega collection. Exit from the matrix is the realization of uh, his goal that uh, he's been pursuing for the last fifteen plus years. It's practical. It contains more than uh, fifty new exercises. I cannot speak high highly enough about this. Exit from the matrix. That no more fake news. So, uh, but I, I, anyway, John, I, I was looking at uh, this car, and I'm thinking, you know, I long for the days of my '73 Camaro that didn't have the little computer chip in the vehicle that had windows you roll actually rolled down, no computer chip again, versus what we're seeing today. And and I thought to myself, you know, we're seeing this in the medical industry as well. Like you, like you were just saying, we're going from the basics, in my view, so far away from the basics, to even the misdiagnosis. And just like you take your car into a shop and, and have them read the computer chip and, and from that fix whatever might be wrong. In some cases, that's wrong. Same thing with the human body. And we're so far away from the basics. And, and so into the possibility that Something bad's going to happen here from all this, right? This is all about <clears throat> this is all about control. And one of the great ways to do that is you just keep automating one thing after another. Driverless cars. Okay, well, what does that mean? But that means that in the city of the future, the planners because this is the way the technocrats look at the world. We are planning society and the way things will be arranged. Where you have cars on the highway, they will all be driverless cars, and they will be talking to each other all the time, electronically. And people who are now passengers in their own cars will be sitting there And traffic will be organized statistically and in real time to give you the best route to work with the least amount of traffic jams. But the whole thing is going to be coordinated from the top. So that, say, in a city like Los Angeles, the computers are working all the time to arrange the speeds of cars, where they go, which highways, which streets, which roads. And lots of people say, great, this is exactly what I want. Yeah, you want it until one day you wake up and you realize that your life has been planned out and organized for you and you have no escape hatch. You've got something called uh, Alexa or whatever it's going to be called then, 
a box in your house or it's hidden behind a wall that's always turned on, it's always listening, it's always watching. It's recording data about you, everything you do, everything you say, and it's forwarding that to some central computing processing center where that data is being interpreted and collated and judged and all manner of decisions are being made for you and for other people, for everyone. You know, this sounds okay, science fiction. It's not. This is what technocracy is all about. These people who are basically of an engineering turn of mind, shall we say, they think that human society is exactly like a machine. And since they can put together machines that function very well, they transfer that idea and they say, we can control society in the same way for the good of everybody by their definition. You will be assigned energy quotas. You can use up so much energy every month and factored into that will be what you buy for example you buy an item off the shelf automatically there is a calculation of how much energy was needed to produce that item that is now entered into your account your energy account worldwide this happens at the end of your quota of energy if the month is not up you're out of energy until they decide you get more. I mean, this is how far the plan would go if we let it go. Wow. And that integrates, as you said, exit from the uh, matrix, the, the article exit from the matrix, the individual and reality, reality machine. Look, we're seeing the headlines on, uh, on Drudge and other websites, driverless cars. Now this, of course, all of this is integrated. And everything we're talking about is, is all intertwined, uh, complete subjugation to a global power structure. And uh, whether it's your mind, your brain, your car, your house, diabolical, it, it is. You're right, this is diabolical. And step by step, because look, um, if you look at, say, one thing, Okay, I can get into my car, and my car will take me to work. Or let's even go back from there. You have GPS, you have Siri, the voice. You're in a strange place, you don't know where you are. You connect with the GPS, and Siri tells you exactly how to get home. Who doesn't want that? Of course I want that. Okay. Step by step by step through uh, help, comfort, pleasure, etc., people are lulled into a more automated society. Until the day, like I said, when they realize they never intended to stop. This isn't just giving me what I might want. This is planning my life. And much more than that, it's, it's um, complete control over uh, the behaviors of your life. And uh, it's really crazy to think about the 
the fact that society would accept this and, and take this on uh, as some kind of, of benefit, and that's how it's it's marketed, you know, in these documents where they talk about, you know, this is for the benefit of uh, the public health, uh, for better efficiency, to save money, to be to be much uh, better on, on the side of of uh, the government. They also say that it will ensure. Uh, it will ensure widespread use and sustainability, transparency, and the the public would reap the the benefits of the medical system and the in the uh, uh, efficiency, as I said, from from medicines to diagnosis to treatments to uh, just average monitoring. You know, you get alerts when your blood pressure is too high or or when your cholesterol is high. They're they're packaging it as a beginning and end all to medical care, basically giving you twenty four seven access. Um, as for diagnosis and treatment and other things, but one thing that's not talked about in here, what you what you mentioned, is once people accept this technology, and this is their only lifeline, it is going to be you know mandatory. You will not, like the Bible says, you will not be able to be part of this society without this technology in you. And here you get into a number of issues where uh, I was reading over an executive order Obama did in 2009, establishing a bioethical commission, where he talked about the intersec- intersection of uh, technology and human rights and this is, is a very dangerous territory and I believe it, it is very biblical when we talk about the mark of the beast and that system I can't think of anything else that, that is, is as similar as what they're trying to roll out here do you think that this is a potential for a mark of the beast system this implantable health technology that could be mandatory well the way I interpret it is does it uh, condemn you to a life of slavery? And the answer to that is yes. That's the purpose of it. Like, let's just take this as an example. At some point, antisocial behavior will become a predominant indicator on these automated systems. Through surveillance, and by comparing a person's behavior and words to lists of uh, so-called disorders, people will be diagnosed and receive a kind of a mark. Yeah. This is a person who is potentially dangerous to the established order, which, as we all know, is for the benefit of everyone that is the fundamental assumption of the order. Therefore, anyone who is behaving in a way that is anti the order is potentially dangerous and has to be dealt with. I mean, come on, that's where they're going. And then how do you deal with it? Well, from all of the research that I've done over the last 35 years or so, the answer to that is medical because it's much harder to make a moral accusation against somebody you know you're acting immorally against the established order because then people can argue about that no, no. you have a diagnosable condition which we call XYZ and you are exhibiting all of the signs. So in this way, resistance to the order 
is drained away. A person who sees very clearly where all of this is going and either acts or speaks in a way that demonstrates that he sees all that is suddenly diagnosed with a mental disorder. And, of course, we can hearken back to the very crude use of this in the Soviet Union, psychiatry as a political tool to discredit and incarcerate critics of the regime. But here we're looking at a very high-tech version of that. Very high-tech version. Yeah, and and in the language, one of the things I find interesting is part of their rollout plan where they talk about uh, offering incentives for you know the first batch of, of people who uh, will use this technology, and then when when they reach a certain percentage of people who have this technology, they will then turn around to make it mandatory. But they're going to basically give out prizes <laughs> for people yeah. who who decide to to take this up first, and then on the back end they will make it mandatory after they hit a certain percentage. But it's um it, it's a Something I've been doing a lot of research on for many years, but you, the language they use is so vague, and there's so many agencies and departments and guidances and documents that it's so hard to pin down, and they never use direct language. It's always, uh, they're always talking around the point. So it's really hard to, you know, to, for somebody who to just pick up a document and understand it, you have to be familiar with how they issue these documents and the language they use and, and the terminology. But, it's becoming more and more easy. It's, it's becoming much easier to, to see where they're going the more they continue to publish these documents, and it's something we're obviously all going to keep an eye on. Um, John, I see that we only got about 12 minutes left. I want to kind of switch gears. Have you seen the latest release by the FBI on uh, some of the, the Las Vegas information about Stephen Paddock and his girlfriend, Mary Lou Danley? Uh, her fingerprints are on ammo. She said... You'll find them because I helped him, uh, you know, load the ammo. Uh, I think there was something about her shutting down her Facebook account before yeah. the shootings. Uh, also, some emails that suggest that their paddock may have had an accomplice. Um, yeah, that's that's what you're talking about. Yeah, right? and so Mary my Lou question Danley, is, what the heck? That's I mean, if you could shed light on it, go ahead. Chuck. Mary Lou Danley deleted her Facebook account uh, two hours after the shooting, an hour before they released the the name of the shooter. So obviously she, if she didn't have direct knowledge of it of it happening, she put two and two together from the news coverage and um, assumed it was him. Otherwise, why why take your Facebook page down? And then well, what's really interesting is the communications that that were released by the FBI now they say this is probably him emailing himself with between oh, yeah. different email addresses but that they're also investigating the possibility of a third or another party being involved and when you read these emails that he allegedly sent to his, himself I don't think anybody would do would would uh, <laughs> say, right. uh, things like this try an AR before you buy we have huge selection located in the Las Vegas area later the day the email uh, yeah and, and who sends stuff like this to themselves? So I do believe there is somebody on the other end of this, and they say a forensics investigation will determine that. But it's a, you know, this is one of the most frustrating cases that we've had to look it, over it, because it, we have yeah. no motive or no, at least, uh, official motive. And I'm torn between uh, ISIS or political motivations. I, I don't know. 
you know, if oh, we certainly know. know that uh, there were multiple shooters. I mean, I wrote several articles about this. We may have even discussed it, I think, on the show here. I mean, the evidence to me is overwhelming. Yep. Uh, eyewitnesses of all kinds, the uh, police, uh, you know, audio of that night, uh, other things, you know, people making YouTube videos while in a hotel, like the Bellagio saying shots were just fired through the front door and uh, we're all being held in the lobby here. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. Multiple shooters. So whatever is being released here to me is, you know, what intelligence agencies would call a limited hangout. I mean, it's just like feeding you little nibbles and saying, follow these breadcrumbs and, and we'll take you there eventually if we find out something. But don't look over here to all the evidence that there were multiple shooters in different locations that night in Vegas because if you do that, you'll recognize that we're looking at something that was uh, built, a conspiracy, a collusion, coordinated effort to do what was done, which to me indicates, if we use the word political, uh, in a general, I mean, all-embracing sense. There was something political about this. This wasn't just a crazy guy who went crazy that night. Far from it. He may not have fired any shots at all. I don't know. But this is not a lone shooter by any stretch of the imagination. Absolutely agree with you on that. Um, I'm kind of leaning towards John, and, and feel free to um, give me your thoughts on, on my assessment, but I'm kind of leaning towards some sort of proprietary operation, governmental proprietary operation, uh, like a CIA kind of thing, or a, a um, either a domestic or an international uh, operation that went sideways, perhaps. I just find that, that the timing and the proximity with respect to Paddock and uh, I just find this whole thing curious, especially in the um, timing sense with respect to what's going on in Saudi Arabia, the fact that there were some Saudis in town, um, the area. Uh, I, I don't know. It almost seems like the, the shooting was an afterthought, despite the fact that you have multiple shooters, most likely. Uh, well, maybe not an after, maybe an afterthought might be the wrong, um, characterization of it. It would be secondary to something much larger. I don't know. It, it, it certainly could be. I, I, I keep all, uh, channels open on this as far as that goes. Yeah. And I label it terrorism because I, I think that's what it is. Sure. Regardless of who exactly is behind it and uh, what their particular motive is in doing it. I mean, there are general motives to these things of all the mass shootings. One of them is to demoralize the public. Regardless of what the operation is in a specific case and why it's being done and so forth, what the source is, the general idea overriding ideas to demoralize the public, to normalize these things, to get people used to the idea of, well, we live in an unsafe world and there's nothing we can do about it, and so we just have to pull back. 
stay indoors. Don't put yourself in situations where danger could arise. Uh, you know, and this kind of a mindset makes people so cautious that they don't even want to talk out of school about anything. They don't want to criticize anything. They just want to be invisible on all levels. I see this over and over again. Political correctness feeds into this all manner of things, calling people racists every time they open their mouth. It all combines to demoralize the population and make people say, I give up, I surrender, I'm passive, do whatever you want to do, just please, you know, leave me alone. That's that's where a lot of this goes because that's what makes it easier to take over populations. And I don't know that we'll ever fully understand the motives that uh, were behind the, the Las Vegas shooting, and I don't believe we'll ever have a, a full picture of what really happened that day. Nobody can deny the different reports uh, from the, the, some of the video evidence to specifically the scanner, the police scanner audio, as well as the air traffic control audio, where you have the air traffic control members saying that there were shooters on the runway, you have the phone calls all around the town of Las Vegas reporting multiple gunshots at multiple locations, either because they happened or they were distraction calls. But there was so much going on in Las Vegas, and this being the town of, you know, I would call it even more so than New York City, closed-circuit television, the city of, of closed-circuit television, because of all the cameras in the casinos and whatnot, to have no video footage coming from the casinos, of even the movements of panic inside that uh, hotel, the questions surrounding the security guard and the the, uh, the uh, employment, his employment, and what happened after that, the timeline that the police got wrong two or three times. So much of what they have told us doesn't add up. They've given us lots of information, information but uh, much of it is not vital to the to the motivation, and they've covered up a lot of things as well. And I don't believe we're ever going to have a full understanding. Well, and of I think, yeah, and I think that's what goes to what John was saying about the demoralization mm-hmm. f- factor. Yeah, you know, at what point do you say enough is enough? But, but also, I'm tired of I'm tired of the lies. And, and and John, I've been seeing an increase in emails like that. I'm just so tired. You could you could you could talk about all the criminal criminal acts, but nothing ever seems to be accomplished. No one ever gets prosecuted. No, you can't find the truth. At all on any on anything. So what's the use? Kind of speaks to what you were saying. It's a perfect uh, outcome as far as the controllers are concerned, right? And this to me speaks uh, uh, as a bottom line. The individual has to feel ready and willing to do something something constructive, something that's going to change things for the better. And I'm not just talking about some aimless kind of thing. I'm talking about something ethical and real and right. To express ideas that are fundamental to what America is supposed to be, namely a republic, constitutional republic, and so on and so forth. I mean, I could go on and on. But there's a line. If a person is not willing to do anything or to express anything, then as these events and incidents keep building up and building up and building up, that person is going to say, what's the use? What's the use? 
and they'll just go dark and invisible and passive. But this but is, but that, that's that's a uh, you know that's a kind of a uh, a predisposition in that direction to begin with. Right. You've got to stop having that predisposition to be completely passive, because that's the person who says, "What's the use? There's no use in doing anything." Are you kidding? There's always a use for doing things if you have the spirit and the energy and the willingness to. Uh, to find answers about what you should do. Exactly. And this is why I like your intellectual work product, your collection, Exit from the Matrix. Uh, I think it's invaluable. And, and folks, go to nomorefakenews.com and do yourself a favor. Make the investment in um, both, actually, the Matrix Revealed, Exit from the Matrix, and, and look through. Look through the, the products, the intellectual work products of John Rappaport, and I guarantee you, you will come out of the matrix out of this feeling a lot better. John, you've got we got about a minute left. You got the last minute and a half. You got the last words. Well, first of all, I'm always appreciative of our conversations. They're always great. So thanks for inviting me. Uh, I, I really enjoy this every time we do it. Um, I would say the bottom line is. Plug into something that you think is important, important to you personally, important to other people, and begin to figure out what you can do about that. Use your imagination. You will feel much better if you're active than if you're passive. The struggle is never over, ever over. The game is always afoot, and it always will be. And uh, that's important to know. Absolutely, and uh, you know, there's so we live in such exciting times, John. There's so much going on, and with the political, with the atmosphere that we have in this country of, of the the division and really the hatred and everything we see in the media, the hysteria. Um, it, it seems to when when you look back on the importance of it, it seems to to be just a big distraction. And it seems like uh, there's so much more going on if, if people just dig into these other issues, whether it's in the medical field or, um, you know, any and everything. I mean, there's so much going on, and there's so much uh, work to be done. And it seems like, you know, we're stuck in a hamster wheel sometime. But I want to thank you for coming on, John. Always very insightful. Nomorefakenews.com. And we will continue to uh, update or check your website and talk with you here in the near future. Thank you so much. Thank you, sir. Thank you. When we come back, we will be joined by Pastor Paul Begley to take us out on this Monday edition of the Hagman Report. Don't forget to check HagmanReport.com. I know Peter Chalka has an article that will be dropping, I believe, at 2 a.m. this morning. I'm tell you, it's already scheduled, ready to go. Buckle in. Yeah. And don't forget to check our YouTube channel. Subscribe. Hit that subscribe button. And uh, if you don't want to listen to the whole shows, you have favorite guests, all the videos are segmented there. So each show we do is continue to broken down in segment by segment, guest by guest. So make sure you uh, use that feature on YouTube. We'll be right back.
this Monday edition of the Hagman Report. We're going to be joined by Pastor Paul Begley, and he's going to be coming on to talk about a number of things. Just real quick, I want to bring a quick word from one of our sponsors, Ready Made Resources. Have you got all your preps? If you're in Hawaii, I know all they had, they had a reality check this weekend. We talked about that earlier. But you want to make sure you have your storable food, your, your, uh, night vision goggles, water filters, everything and anything you can think to need in a preparedness situation. Ready Made Resources is run by Bob Griswold and check out his website. Give him a call if you have any questions. But go to readymaderesources.com and it's a one-stop shop for all your survival and storable food needs. They are our go-to company. And you know, they've got the, the absolute best communications equipment. Uh, just ask Nellie Orr about the ham radio. Nellie Orr, you know, the wife of Bruce Orr, the uh, twice now demoted Department of Justice official. Oh, you heard about that. Nellie Orr applying for a ham radio license because why? Well, the communications on that, that those type of communications uh, circumvent the, uh, uh, the surveillance of the deep state. Wow. Think about that, but ready-made resources indeed. We have with us Pastor Paul Begley, and just as uh, John Rappaport was on the last segment, we had Pastor Begley scheduled uh, twice. Uh, it fell through for different reasons, so here we are, and uh, I've been looking forward to this interview for a few weeks now, Pastor. It's great to have you back on. Great to be on, guys. It's always great to be on the Hagman Report, and I just wondered if you guys dug out from underneath, did you say seven feet of snow? Seven feet. What? Yeah, seven <laughs> feet. I've never shoveled so much in my life. You know, and the the problem with that is is not the seven feet. It's the seven feet in like thirty six hours. That's the problem. That is crazy. That is literally crazy. I oh, mean, oh, yeah. I'll send you some pictures, Pastor. All right, I need those. Yeah, I mean, uh, something I can set. Back. You know, so did you at any point did you wake up and say, "Why are we here?" Yes. I think yes. my dad says that every day. I, I, I look, you know, anything, anything below, uh, 65 degrees, I get cantankerous. All right. And anything above like 90, I get really cantankerous. So, uh, I'm a high maintenance kind of guy. God bless my wife because, you know, um, and the people around me, I, I just, I, I'm, I get ugly, but yeah, you, you gotta wonder exactly what, yeah. Huh? Why are we here in this, subjecting ourselves to this? But uh, well, I hear where you're at. What is it? Seventy three and sunny right now. What's going on there? No, 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 no. I mean, I, you know, uh, I think we had five inches of snow today. Still snowing out there. It's about fourteen degrees. Uh, and my first thing my wife says to me this morning is, uh, "Man, we really need the, the sidewalk, the the driveway. Everything needs shoveled off." I said, "We sure do." And then she said, uh, and the shovel is in the garage. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, you know, you got to do it, guys. You got to do it. Oh, which right? you should, you know, just put the shovel in your neighbor's garage. Yeah. Very just left in the yard. Oh, man. Well, well, well Pastor, uh, now that we got the weather forecast and the weather conditions out of the way, uh, my goodness, you're, I, I've just been following you, your shows, uh, so much going on. And I know people get agitated when we ask this question. Where do you want to start? Uh, because people say, well, you're not prepared. Well, we're prepared. My goodness, take your pick. But I guess where do you want to start? I mean, Hawaii. 
I mean, let's start there. I mean, right. I, we'll talk about the weather conditions, but this this thing Saturday morning, uh, Doug and Joe, uh, you know, first of all, the excuse we're getting, and I'm calling this the Illuminati apocalypse is what I'm calling this. They're saying that during a shift change, some guy hit the wrong button. I mean, I mean, did he like accidentally bumped the wrong one with his elbow, or what are you talking about? I I did some research on this. There's five approval steps have to be done before a broadcast of an alert can be launched to one million people. I mean, every television station, uh, every uh, radio station, every cell phone in the entire uh, state of Hawaii. To, to get to that level to launch any kind of an emergency uh, announcement, there's five safe, uh, safety approval steps that have to be done. You can't just bump the wrong button. I mean, this was, uh, to me, what I thought we were seeing was this. 38 minutes of hell, 38 minutes people diving into sewer drains, people uh, uh, crying. There were heart attacks. There were panic attacks. The ER rooms were filled. People crashed through red lights. It was insane. They thought the world, this is it. It's the Holocaust. This is it. It's a nuclear Holocaust. And uh, and it takes 38 minutes for anybody to finally say, no, 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 it's not real. And during that 38-minute experiment, I'm just going to say, they really had a chance to analyze the reaction of the sheeple. And they're preparing us for how to handle us during the times of these manufactured chaos that I believe that uh, one day will bring about the, you know, this, this is how you get control out of chaos. They're, they're figuring out our reactions to certain crises and how they're going to be able to handle us when they manufacture these crises. And so this is a deep state move. I, I'm going to say in my own heart, I believe this was planned. And, oh, by the way, it happened the same hour that the Clinton 11-point indictment was given out on the uh, the true Clinton collusion confusion uh, with the uh, Uranium One deal. Same hour that it was released, same hour somebody bumped the button. I'm not buying it. I'm not buying it. So you, you think it could be a distraction for the sake of distractions from the U- Uranium One indictment story? Absolutely. I mean, I think there's several levels here. Number one, it's a major distraction. Nobody talked about the Clinton Uranium One distraction, Uranium One indictment all weekend. Wasn't even talked about. None of the talk shows, not even Fox. They still haven't. No, because it's all about Hawaii and what happened. And, And oh, by the way, and they're blaming President Trump for this chaos. They're saying it's because of his tweeting and his antagonizing. And it's, it's his fault. He's brought this thing to this level. And I just now, I, I just now saw the Pope has just said he's warning we're now one step away from nuclear war. So I believe this was a major distraction to keep everybody from focusing on Uranium One and the 11 count indictment, uh, that's just getting started there in this Uranium One Russian collusion deal for all this uranium that was sold, of course, from, uh, the United States to the Uranium One company in Canada to the Russians. The Russians then back uh, send $145 million to the Clinton cartel, the, cl- the Clinton uh, cash cartel. It had to, And that deal, by the way, had to be approved by nine government agencies. 
actual signatures by Hillary Rodham Clinton, Eric Holder, the Attorney General, uh, oh, <laughs> Jay, uh, uh, Robert Mueller, who was the director of the FBI at that time, signed off on this deal. I mean, it goes on at the Pentagon. It goes on and on and on. So, okay, you got the uranium deal. They uh, finally bring an indictment against some low-level dude uh, out there in the East Coast. I forgot his name and where he's from, even. And they're, and they're so they're trying to they're Mark making Lambert. a okay, Mark Lambert. Yep. Thank you. He's the fall guy, and and we they're going to they bring the indictment out on a Saturday morning, and the same hour they bring it out, we have a nuclear potential holocaust. I mean, what do you think is going to make the headlines? It's it's unbelievable. Deep State. Deep State did this. You, you know what, Pastor? Uh, speaking about Uranium One, I, we, we spent the first hour, and I spent uh, I dedicated uh, my morning show to this in the context of how, how does Uranium One fit into everything? I just wanted to touch on this just briefly with you. When you pull the lens back, you see eight years of Obama foreign policy and domestic policy, eight years of this shift towards Iran, for example, um, the, the chaos in the Middle East, but this power shift to Iran, and obviously Iran is a nation-state proxy for Russia to some extent, re- relying upon Russia, and of course we saw during the, the Clinton uh, Secretary of State debacle, her tenure as Secretary of State, that I, that Russia reset button, stupid thing, um, and, and bear in mind. During her tenure and during Obama's years, Russia was, oh, we were on friendly terms with Russia. Donald Trump gets in office, bam, Russia is the enemy. How, you know, it's, it's, it's a complete 180. But in the context of everything, and you had mentioned this, uh, the Uranium One fits in with the Iranian deal, which fits in with the, uh, our, our, our relationship with Russia which is contingent upon, or the Iranian deal is contingent upon the relationship with Russia, and, of course, the power shift in the Middle East. And, you know, that, of course, would be fine and dandy as long as Hillary Clinton got in. It would be a continuation of this agenda. But, of course, we saw Donald Trump get in, and then, of course, this um, weaponization of our intelligence to marginalized President Donald Trump, both as a, as a private citizen, as a president-elect, and also the president. So, you know, all of this in context, and absolutely incredible. And then, of course, down to a lower scale, a more precise scale, yes, you're right, Hawaii, 8.05 in the morning, I guess it was, um, 38 minutes of, of sheer terror. Unbelievable. And, and, you know, uh, Doug, you just brought out some great points about the fact that Hillary was supposed to win the election. I mean, th- this was a done deal. The New World Order, the Illuminati, if you look at it from a biblical standpoint, the beast itself was going to rise. This was it. They were going to take the next four years to eight years and literally hand over the keys of this nation to a global governance a new world order, I believe, was going to happen in that eight-year period under the Clinton uh, regime. But the prayers of God's people, the actual folks getting out and voting, the miraculous thread of hope through those last five states that that Trump won with only 76,000 votes to win five states, this was a miraculous answer to prayer and a miracle and has stunned the left. It has stunned the beast. It has left the, the uh, secret societies in a state of chaos and, and confusion what they're going to do. And they don't have a plan. They don't have a candidate. 
They don't have a plan. They got Maxine Waters. Uh, I, they don't have nothing that they don't want to do but to protest, riot, break glass, cause issues. Uh, and I think the Las Vegas shooting, uh, is, is also part of this chaos. I think it's another, uh, you know what? I'm, I'm not a, a conspiracy theorist. I really ain't. I'm not really not. I just look at things practically. But I have watched the tapes of this Las Vegas thing. And I mean, there's gunfire coming out of the fourth floor window. There's gunfire out of two windows on the 32nd floor. There's gunfire out of the helicopter. There's gunfire down, down on the street. There's, there's people dead everywhere. And oh, by the way, we haven't seen one security camera from inside the Mandalay Bay Hotel. You, you talk, this is a casino, guys. You know how many millions of dollars are in the vaults there? You know how intense this is? How in the world did Stephen Paddock get all these guns and ammo into the building up to his room, hang out for six days, what, with the Do Not Disturb sign? Are you serious? I mean, this guy was the fall guy. He was murdered. Uh, we don't ever see him coming in with all the stuff. You would have it on camera. It's because he never brought it in there in the first place. This guy was never... And the guy who calls in six minutes ahead of the actual shooting beginning and calls in the, the security guard from Mexico who says there's a shooting six minutes before there's a shooting and he's got a bullet in his leg? I mean, come on, Joe. Come on, Doug. This is part of the deep state plan of confusion. And I believe that you're just seeing that there's going to be an event after event after event. You're going to keep seeing these along with the protesting and the pink hats and all the stuff that goes on. It's going to be a soft coup attempt on this president and on our democracy. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, it's so frustrating, as we've said time and time again, to see that in Las Vegas, you know, so much was wrong with the police investigation from the uh, misreporting of facts. They, they changed the timeline a number of times. Uh, they didn't even report accurately when Paddock checked into the room he was in, Laura Loomer actually uncovered that he was there many days uh, prior to uh, them saying he checked in. We have the the room service receipts that it looks like there's more than one person involved. And then today you have information that had come out uh, over the last few days that the FBI released detailing the actions of Mary Lou Danley deleting her Facebook page before the name of Paddock was released as the shooter and also email exchanges uh, allegedly between Paddock and himself from different devices. But the FBI is looking at the possibility of another person being on the other end of one of those emails as the language in those emails is not uh, is not what you'd expect if you were sending messages to yourself. It sounds like a, almost a sales pitch for you know buying guns from a particular location. So, But what's going on? Uh, Pastor, I mean... What's going, or what, I know this is chaos out of order, or the semblance of order. What the hell, what went on in Vegas? And for what reason? And who was involved? And why? Well, I guess it's still, still the case, Doug, that what goes on in Vegas is staying in Vegas. We can't, we can't get the information. Uh, I, I mean, uh, uh, you know, we've got a $12 million dossier from Russia. Uh, we, we can spend a lot of money on that. The Democrat National Committee, they can spend six million. Hillary Clinton can spend six million. Robert Mueller can hire sixteen million dollars worth of lawyers. And we can come up with all kinds of fake, you know, Jake Trapper and Tapper and, 
and um, and uh, all the rest of the guys on the media can run around. But when it comes to Vegas, we can't even get a police report. We can't see one closed-circuit uh, camera video. Why not? No wonder this sheriff whose daughter was almost shot, no wonder he's been freaking out. And, uh, you know, trying to, trying to say, let's, God, he just, you can see he's saying they're lying, they're lying, they're lying. There's something more to this, uh, Doug and Joe. Uh, there is without question, you have to look at who was the concert was country music fans, which are 80% Trump voters. They're also, they come from 92% Christian background. So you have to look at, this was terrorized, this is terror to the American base, the Trump voters and the Christians, if you will. That base, conservative Christians, were targeted. And it's a message to them, we could target you anytime we want to. And so, again, I'm going to go back to the deep state. Boy, I don't know why, I, I don't even like to go there. But you can see the targeting of this. You can see... Who's being, um, they're trying to really break the spirit of America right now. And, and oh, by the way, the Texas shooting, here we go again. Uh, who is the, who are the Texas Christians in that little community in the heartland of America? These are the Trump voters. These are Christian conservatives. Again, the message is clear. And I'm going to make a prediction and I don't even want to. I don't want to. It's not a prophecy. But I would say every 90 days we're going to have a major event targeting Christian and Trump voters. So when you see the next one, say, wow, we heard that on the Hagman Show. Seriously. It's um, it's a uh, very worrisome, uh, Pastor, when we see, we, we saw at the end of 2017 the shooting in Las Vegas followed by the Sutherland Springs, Texas church shooting. And we've seen a number of terror attacks. One attempted terror attack in New York that that uh, the, the bomb detonated prematurely, that was uh, didn't kill anybody. And then the bike attack in New York City. And it does seem it did seem for the first half of the Trump presidency uh, like there was some quiet. There were, really wasn't any mass shootings. There was there was no terror attacks in in the U.S. And then we got to the eclipse in August. Then we had the series of hurricanes, and then, you know, it's almost like that snowball effect. We had, you know, the shootings and then the terror attacks all within weeks of each other. And it seems like things really intensified since the eclipse. And I remember right after that, people were worried about the prophetic implications uh, of that eclipse. And then we started to see the natural disaster and man-made shooting and terror attacks increase. And uh, so you're saying that you believe that that we're going to continue to see these events unfold, and it is primarily the fault of the deep state or those against Trump and the yeah. supporters of Trump. Yes, but I'm glad you brought the uh, the solar eclipse into this because it is also very prophetic. Uh, I was at the uh, solar eclipse in Idaho. It was the most uh, most incredible thing I ever seen in my life. Seriously, it was the most powerful thing I ever witnessed in my life, and to think that it was completely orchestrated by God. And I understand it in Genesis chapter 1, verse 14. It does tell us that the sun, the moon, the stars were made for prophetic signs and seasons, for signs and seasons and for days and years. So from the very beginning of the creation, God put into motion these prophetic signs 
that would give us warnings or confirmation of feast days, of course, on the Jewish calendar, Hebrew calendar. This is the year 5778 of that. Now, if you look at what happened, uh, another thing happened. I studied all the solar eclipses of the Bible and did a DVD on it, the total eclipse of the sun. I studied every one of them in the Bible. One of them happened when Abraham, there was a total eclipse on May the 9th, I think 1453 or whatever it was. Uh, I can't remember. or No, it's not the right year. Uh, it was May the 9th, though. This total solar eclipse came the same day God was given Abraham a covenant promise that his children were going to be blessed. But by the fourth generation, they would go into bondage for 400 years. The, the Lord even says 400 years, and this is in Genesis, and says to him, but then I will bring them out with a great substance, and they will go on into the land that I promised you. And then the Lord lists seven giant tribes, seven Nephilim groups, gives them their names. Even one of the seven are called Rephahim. And he says they will have to go in and eradicate them, to destroy them. Well, that doesn't happen till after the flood, okay? I mean, so you have giants before the flood and after the flood. That fits into Steve Quell narrative, into the L.A. Marzulli narrative. It's actually a biblical narrative. They're dead on the money with this. Now, here's what happens. In these this solar eclipse that hit in the days of Jonah, he went in and preached that the city was going to be destroyed in 40 days. The day he went and, pro and proclaimed that was a total solar eclipse. It was the first day of a 40 days of repentance in the Jewish, in the Hebrew calendar, I should say. And, uh, and so it was the 40 days. This solar eclipse we had on August 21st, 2017, that was also the same day as Jonah. It was the first day of the 40 days of repentance, the, the first day of Elu. And the Lord gave me a word a few months before that, that when this eclipse comes, that there was going to be chaotic or apocalyptic events that were going to continue to happen for the next seven years until the next solar eclipse, which is coming April the, April the 8th, 2024, when it crosses America again. And these apocalyptic events are going to keep happening around America primarily. There'll be some around the world because they're just prophetically there's going to be but America is going to experience these things. Well, here's what happened, Joe. We have the eclipse. We, and be, during the 40 days before the, before we can even get past the 40th day, we have three category four hurricanes, Hurricane Harvey, Hurricane Irma, Hurricane Maria. We've never been hit by never more than one category four in a season. We were hit three times in America in the same 40 days. There were two massive solar eclipses on the sun. One was was the 14th largest in history, and we're in a solar minimum, so that should never happen. Kim Jong-un fired a missile. He also detonated a hydrogen bomb underground, bringing us to the brink of potential nuclear war. And we've seen uh, all kinds. We had two killer earthquakes uh, in Mexico, and it goes on and on. I mean, it's just incredible and then here came the Vegas shootings, here come the Texas shootings, and the events just continue to go on, and you're going to see more, uh, unfortunately, and some of it will be orchestrated by the deep state, because prophetically, they're part of the chaos. I mean, they're the kings of chaos. They, The, the New World Order, the, the Bilderberg groups, the Bohemian Grove, the Trilateral Commission, I mean, these secret societies have been for decades, 
uh, conjuring the, the de demons of hell to, to launch the attacks to disrupt society and to bring about a new world order, a beast, if you will, a biblical beast. So these are the days of chaos. These are the days of the apocalyptic events. Uh, and you're going to see, and at the same time, Christians are going to be blessed. Okay. According to the scripture, the greatest blessings, and I think that's why the economy's flourishing. I think it's, you know, when, when Trump, oh, by the way, Trump also made Jerusalem the capital of Israel. So that brought tremendous blessings on us. Okay. So no matter how much the deep state tries to create the chaos, it can't stop the blessing right now. We're in a roll. So it's, it's an incredible situation. This is one of the greatest times of your study in end times. This is it. It's unbelievable what's going on. Now, you mentioned something that I want to ask you about because I thought of you as well when President Trump acknowledged Jerusalem and as the capital. Um, where does this fit in to the prophetic timeline? Uh, is this a – maybe let me rephrase that question. Can we derive any kind of prophetic time marker from this, or is this, yeah. or, or or am I kind of overthinking this? No, you're not overthinking it, uh, Doug. Not at all. Israel becomes a nation in 1948. Now, from the time Abraham gets the covenant from God, it's 1948 years until the end of the century or the end of the uh, age. And then Israel becomes a nation in 1948. Uh, when the children of Israel left Egypt, there were 600,000 men that left Egypt uh, in the Passover. After the Holocaust, there were 600,000 Jews that left, escaped the ashes of the Holocaust and were transplanted into Canaan land, which would become the nation of Israel. It becomes a nation in 1948. So this is now coming up on the 70th anniversary of that. Uh, 1967, the Six-Day War is when Jerusalem, after Israel's attack from five enemies, people keep, they never put this in history. They just tell you that Israel's took, annexed East Jerusalem and the Golan Heights, and they don't say why they did it. Well, it's because they were attacked by Jordan, Lebanon, Egypt, Syria and the Palestinians internally. Okay, a five-front attack, which they defeated them all in six days. And in that in that victory, they went ahead and unified Jerusalem. And this is the 50th anniversary of Jerusalem now being unified, the, the Jubilee year. This happens to be the year that Trump then decides, the, also the 100th anniversary of the Balfour Declaration. Okay, so it, prophetically, 70th year, 50th year, 100th year, biblically. This had to be the year that the proclamation had to be made. Psalms 48, this is the city of our God, the city of the great king. Even Jesus said, when you swear, don't swear by heaven, for that is the Lord's throne. Don't swear by the earth, that is his footstool. And do not swear by the city of Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. So what Trump did was declare Jerusalem the eternal city of God, which is Psalms 48, the city of the great king. So he had to do it. And this is amazing, because if Hillary wins the election, she's not going to do it. But this is the 70th year. This is the year it had to be done. I mean, this is unbelievable. We should have known Trump was going to win, simply, which I did did say he was going to win, but uh, I wasn't thinking about this prophecy. Somebody, it was going to happen. So 
Doug, to answer your question, prophetically, the uh, declaration he made was just like Harry Truman. When he signed the document, when the UN said they're going to make a Jewish state, he took his ink pen. You can look at the document. He crosses out and says, no, 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 it shall be called the nation of Israel. He signs it. Why did he do it? He said, the Bible says that. So you got Harry Truman declaring it the right name according to the scriptures, and you have Donald Trump declaring it the right city according to scriptures. And I don't think Truman and Trump were really all that, I'm not judging them, but they weren't maybe model Christians, okay? They were Christians, but you know what I'm saying? So you never know how God's going to work. But certainly these were prophetic moments uh, tremendously uh, and biblically. So to answer your question on that, oh, and by, I don't know if you saw that, but some, have you guys seen Samantha B? Some, you know, I don't watch, I never watched the show. I've seen oh, commercials. Man, I just up a little bit in my mouth. She's on some kind of apology tour, uh, the, the uh, apologizing to the world for President Trump. I thought you was going to say she apologized to me. <laughs> she, well, she did a segment, uh, the day before my birthday, uh, and, uh, for six minutes, she puts me on the screen on television along with a pastor in Australia and along with Pastor John Hagee and said that we're the ones that caused Trump to declare Jerusalem as the capital. That it was our fault. She called me a lunatic, crazy idiots and that we, we somehow convinced him to do this. And, hey, whoa, uh, whoa, 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 wait, wait a minute, nope. wait a minute, wait a minute. You were on, you were, uh, you were the subject of, of a bit, uh, is that yeah. what you're, Oh yeah, definitely. It's it's it was, and and I didn't know it was going to happen. I didn't even know, but wow. uh, it aired on television on on Full Frontal, on Samantha B's show. Um, she she threw me up there. She even lets me talk, and I even say, you know, about Jerusalem. What Trump did is a prophetic thing. They mock, they mock Trump. They they trash him. They trash myself. They trash Pastor John Hagee. That she blames me for convincing Trump to do this. Uh, and this goes on for six minute segment. And then they uploaded it on their YouTube channel. It's called The Soon Apocalypse with Samantha B or, you know, full frontal Samantha B. You can check it out. It's got six or seven hundred thousand views. Yes, we were a subject. I was a subject and had no idea. My church members, one lady in my church in Knox came to church that next Sunday and said, Pastor, you were on television. They were literally trashing you, okay? So D Joe and Doug, that what Trump did was so prophetic that it is it has literally angered the left, but it's part of the chaos, part of the end time. So, Pastor, they, they took – did they take just your uh, videos, some of your, your uh, clips, and put them up there and, and – or did they pretend to interview you by using your clips? How, how did they present your the they, information? They took two of my clips and put them up there and played them. And then they threw my face up there two more times and just went on the uh, calling me a lunatic, uh, crazy, uh, you know, and just went on. And, and literally a, a major character assassination, not only of me, but of Pastor Steve out of Australia. And um, John Hagee of uh, San Antonio, Texas. You know, Trump. Uh, look, I would wear that as a badge of honor because mm -hmm. she is one of the most, dis 
despicable, nasty, repugnant human beings that, in my view, that walks the face of this earth. And, and it, I'm, I'm going to tell you, it, it just pisses me off to no end. Um, because really, to understand what what she believes, what she considers to be normal, what she considers to be abnormal, polar opposites of what uh, what normal society, what normal thinking people would would uh, would embrace, and, and certainly anti-Christian, uh, unbelievable. But having said all that, are, are we seeing? And I, I guess we are. I guess we're, we're seeing this. Um, well, the, the the intellectual bankruptcy of this uh, woman, in quotation marks, I'm not sure if that's the right word. Um, we're, we're seeing the vile, vicious nature of humanity just going against Christians like you and us. Exactly. And, uh, matter of fact, I'll tell you what I just did. Uh, one second. I'm just, I just grabbed it, and I'm going to throw it up on your... Uh, on your uh, right now, I'm gonna jump in your chat room over there where you find you got a great crowd of folks over there today, and I'm going to do it right now. Here it is. Here's a there's the link of it. Okay. Oh, it don't, it don't, you guys don't let it do that, do you? You, no, you can't don't. post the. I'll can, tell you what. We? I don't know if you have uh, Pastor. I don't know if you're on Skype. Well, you are on Skype right now. Yeah, but I ran over here to your uh, channel and oh, you want me to do it on Skype somehow? Well, if you can put it, we can post links in our chat. So if you can get it to Joe Hagman Skype or uh, Hagman Report Skype, we'll, get it we'll post chat. it in the chat. Yeah. And okay, I want to. I'll get you after the show. I wanted to ask you this, uh, Pastor. This is uh, something we've been talking about the last few weeks when dealing with these this subject, and that is the anti-Trump hysteria that we see in the news media. And it seems that the left and the media are just getting worse and worse and worse. They're getting more crazy. I call it the Trump derangement syndrome or liberal insanity. And it seems as though, and what you just described about being with the Samantha B and uh, this whole attitude against Trump and everything he does, it seems like it is a evil spirit, a collective evil spirit that infects any and everybody, uh, it seems like, who is not rooted in Christianity. It, it, it seems like this leftist ideology is there religion and they can't hide it for whatever reason it, it something with Donald Trump he brings it out in these people but um to the back to the collective spirit of evil is this what th- this mindset that we see and the insanity that ensues from the people who believe this way is this a precursor to to uh, the end times system where the, will they be persecuting people in the streets for their belief in Jesus thinking that they're doing the Lord a favor, as Scripture talks about? Is this that spirit that we see? Absolutely. Joe, you hit it right out of the park with that. I mean, Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21 tells you, besides wars, rumors of wars, and nations rise against nations, kingdom against kingdom, and famines, pestilence, earthquakes, asteroids, sinkholes, mudslides, cyclones, whatever, I mean, hurricanes... Yes, those are easy to identify as apocalyptic events that Jesus referred to. But then he goes right into this. He says, all of these are the beginning of sorrows. And then he says in Matthew chapter 24, verse 9, he starts talking about, but some of you are going to be persecuted, even thrown into prison. Some of you will even be put to death. And the brother will turn against brother, a neighbor against neighbor. Okay? 
In other words, there's going to be this hysteria, this suspicion, like it was in the days of Nazi Germany uh, with Adolf Hitler, and everybody was uh, accusatory, and, and, they, and, and, and everybody was trying to make sure they were protected by uh, ratting out another one. You're going to see societal it's going to be it's going to be fine what Samantha B did to me and the other ministers and Trump which if if Doug if you're mad right now with me just telling you what happened when you watch it you will literally break something you I mean I was so I was so upset when I first saw this I said it was seen by over 700,000 people live and now it's over 644,000 on YouTube and I said to Heidi I said I'm being completely I'm being. I'm, this is a dis, a misrepresentation of not only me, but the president and the other ministers. And she said, "Well, yes, it is. But oh, by the way, that's Bible prophecy. That's exactly what it says is going to happen to you guys and to all of us." And Joe, to answer your question, it's going to get violent. It's not just going to be hating on the Hagman Hour, okay? It's going to get violent. Christians are going to be afraid. Some are going to be afraid to even share their faith for fear of the repercussions upon them and their family. This is the evil demon spirit of the Antichrist. And it will become the norm. It will be acceptable in society. They'll call it civil disobedience. They'll they'll call it, you know, this is just the repercussions of these people. I mean, I don't know, they'll come up with all kinds of uh, taglines. But you you have hit the ball out of the park. This is the demon spirits being released upon humanity, and the reaction that they will have will be so out, so, so hypocritical to everything they say. I mean, look how they've treated the conservative speakers over in Berkeley, California. They say they're liberals. They say they're liberated. They believe in freedom of speech. Yet they don't want anybody to speak unless they speak their language. And then the, it's okay to break things and vandalize and block highways and 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 create chaos and blow stuff up and you know here we go let's go get the Saul Lewinsky book let's read the rules to radicals let's go get Bill Ayers and make him the poster boy once again of this radical underground it's no longer the weather underground it's the weather above ground hmm. and you will see the persecution intensify in the last days absolutely no you're exactly right Pastor and and at what point do you think this becomes the way the majority of the public thinks. I guess I'm saying at what point are we going to, I mean, we, all the writing is on the wall as far as, you know, the hatred and, uh, just based on the, the political, and I would say spiritual lines, which that's not really addressed, but that is the root of the, the problem. At what point do these beliefs create actions out of the, this other side? Is it the next time that they elect a, a democratic or pro, a progressive president? Um, it, it, I mean, I, I'm just wondering at what point does this, this hatred turn into behavior? 1933, Adolf Hitler was elected president or the chancellor or Fuhrer, whatever you want to call him at that time, of Germany, 1933. By 1938, they completely revamped their constitution and gave him ultimate power in five years. By 1939, Jews were being stripped of everything they had, beaten in the street, and rounded up and put on cattle cars on trains. And it wasn't just this SS, it wasn't just the SS, it wasn't just the Nazis soldiers and, and that went around doing this. The general public turned on these people. The, because for, for 
for decades, for two to three decades or longer, the anti-Semitism was growing. They were the butt of all jokes. If there was a Samantha B program, they would have been on it. They were Saturday Night Live. Okay, it was. They were part of the articles written in all of the papers. The 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 the, the wave was coming until they got their fear. Then it kicked in. It didn't take long. To answer your question, had Clinton won the election, we might be already seeing the the breaking in of people's windows and doors, taking things, all out hell being allowed upon us. It could have been already starting. Certainly within her first term, there would have been major changes to the Constitution. There, the, the corruption in the Supreme Court, she would have got this next Supreme Court justice uh, Kennedy would probably retire. She would have got another one, and you would have seen our Constitution stripped. This thing was going to swing so far that it, you would have seen it. We've been given a reprieve. We, and I, I hope if Trump can get two terms, it might be enough to, to set, a, set this wave back 20 years. It may do it. They won't hold it back forever. Biblical prophecy, it will eventually come. But if Trump is not elected in 2020, and if the radical regimes of the left do get it, they're going to be, fangs will come out. They're going to be vicious to hurry the agenda. And then I would say, given it five years, by the year 2025, 2026, it could start getting ugly. And by the year 2030, just in time for the end of the uh, United Nations global sustainability, it might be right on time. Open season on Christians and conservatives. Boy, you are, uh, you brought that up. And it's it's interesting how that that fits, um, yeah. biblical prophecy. How, how all that fits together. What do you think the chances are, Pastor? And I and I just shudder to think of this possibility. But I've got to ask this. We're seeing this um, intense, absolute. Uh, just pulling out all the stops in an effort to marginalize Donald Trump. Hey, the, the guy, um, he's got the, you know, like me, mad cow, right? Or, or uh, Alzheimer's or dementia. He, he's not fit for office. We see this pounded over and over again. But I, I'm seeing this move to not just marginalize, if that doesn't work, to take him out. Number one, do you see that as a real possibility? And number two, what do you think of Pence, perhaps? as a replacement if that should ever happen. Um, I'm just curious. Well, you know, it's a great, great question. Article 25 of the Constitution is being talked about every day in the halls of Congress. It's being talked about in secret rooms, even in the White House. Whispering goes on everywhere. The secret societies, believe me, the big guys, the big money men behind the next election are trying to figure out, can they wait Till 2020 to throw up an ancient Joe Biden, or 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 try to go get Oprah Winfrey, or try to pull something, or should they do something now? Because he is so. I'm talking President Trump is aggressively dismantling the left's house of cards, deregulation of uh, all the different red tape on businesses, uh, the tax the tax reform that has just passed. If he gets his wall. And he, he'll let DACA, he'll let the dreamers stay because, I mean, you know, you, they're already here. They've been here forever. He's, he knows that. It's only 11% one of the go. So the dreamers are going to stay. Trump knows that. But he has to get his wall. And it's more than just a wall. He wants to get rid of the blockchain 
uh, immigration, the lottery immigration. You know, he wants to really tighten that border to where it's almost impossible to get around it or over it or under it. And the Democrats don't want this deal. They don't want the DACA deal because they don't want the wall. Now, you have the established Republicans in there. They don't want it either, okay, because it's really messing up the Illuminati plan. So I think the Article 25 discussion, to answer your question, is going on, and that's why you're seeing psychiatrists, psychologists doing psychological analyzation of him from afar, which is so unethical they should have their license taken from them. This is so unethical. It's illegal to do what they're doing. They're going to try. They, they're going to attempt this. Pence will go along with it if, they, if he has no choice. If there's if the cabinet turns on uh, Trump, Pence will have to say yes because it's just what the Constitution says. Um, I don't think he's behind this move, but he won't say no um, because I think he'll probably think, well, I'm the best chance left, so I might as well take it and maybe I can work with these guys but it's still not right, okay? It's just not right. And if they fail with convincing the American people that Trump is mentally deranged and that Article 25, and that's what they're doing right now. They're trying to convince the majority of the American people that Trump is mentally deranged and that so that when they make their move with Article 25, that 65 or 70% of the American people say, that's fine, you know, he, he yeah, he's got, he's went too far, he's got to go. doesn't matter if he said it or not, we can lie about it. It, we can just, it sounds like it's something he would say. We'll throw Al Sharpton on there. He'll confirm, he'll confirm it. You know, and then we'll just move on, right? Uh, and, and then CNN, fake news media, they'll, they'll, they'll announce it. They'll and say then, anything. Yeah, sure. yeah. New York Times will print it. Okay. So it's a done deal. All right. So they know it. And Oprah will bless it. And so, <laughs> and, you know, and, the, and they'll probably give somebody an Oscar for it in uh, Hollywood and, uh, it's over. So, and then, if they can't convince, though, enough American public, if the American people say, no, this is crazy, if folks take arms to the streets from the South, let's say, uh, and it don't look like it's going to go through, then there's another option, guys, and this is the one you got to really look for, and that's the assassination option. Believe me, that's first, Article 25, second, assassination. Those are absolutely on the drawing board right now. Yeah, how can they not be? I mean, look at the just the attitudes. Look what the media has done in the way that they've portrayed Trump. Just it, it's so disgraceful, and we've seen violence already arise from the political division in this country. From James Hodgkinson's, uh, I believe that was in May, uh, shooting up the congressional baseball practice. I mean, we can yeah. go on and on and on. The Antifa stuff, and the media basically cheers it on. Uh, you had people on Twitter, celebrities and others, celebrating the death of conservatives in the Las Vegas shooting because it was okay because they were Trump supporters. And right. you can see, uh, you know, obviously where this is going. And some of the things, it, it's so crazy anymore uh, with, with the news. At least they used to try to make it sound um, believable or tie it to some truth. But what we've seen from them lately, uh, especially with what we saw Friday, with a quote they've attributed to Donald Trump that they never heard him say, and were told by another person this is what he said, even even with Michael Wolff's Fire and Fury book, where he even admits that, you know, basically he made up interviews and, and uh, a lot of what the information isn't true, they don't even care anymore. They're just running, they're, they're making it up as they go along, and, because like, apparently it generates lots of ratings, and i got to say, I'm guilty of watching CNN a lot just to see how crazy uh, they get on a daily basis. 
but uh, it, th- this behavior, I mean, at some point, I guess maybe they don't have to get caught or exposed or it doesn't matter. I mean, at what point does somebody say, look, this is what the facts are, and then this is what CNN is reporting, and there's, you know, all this area uh, where there, you know, there's no truth to anything CNN's saying, uh, so, you know, take their reporting with a grain of salt. We don't get that. We get the, the constant positive reinforcement from the Hollywood and political and other media, you know, and the only person who's calling it like it is are Trump and his supporters and some of the conservative media, you know, Which is why we like fake it. news and exactly. But this is, um, it, we're on a, on a collision course. And as more time went on, as Trump was president, I thought it would die down, but it is doing the opposite of that and it's continuing to ramp up. So it it will be which ideology is going to win out in the end? I guess is the question, and we don't know, but we do know. But we do know actually. Unfortunately, in the Bible, we do know eventually the Antichrist does Mm -hmm. get his he does get his day, but he loses in the end. Okay. The question is, when does he get his gets in position for this? Well, again, we go to biblical prophecy. Doug asked a great question about Jerusalem. Was that a biblical marker? Yes, it was. Absolutely. And now next will be the creating of an environment, whether it's a covenant with many, as it says in Daniel 9.27, and the building of the third temple. At first, when that temple gets built, the Jews are going to celebrate. It's going to be the greatest thing ever happened to them. Uh, the world will converge on Jerusalem. They're even building a train station, guys. The train station is going to be done in three years. It's been. It's going to be the Trump train station the main place where the thousands of people will get off the train is at the Wailing Wall so that people can go up the ramp to see the new temple. The train station will be done. They just they just dedicated it. It's going to be named after Donald J. Trump. Mm-hmm. Okay? And you have to understand, this train station has been on the blueprints for 40 years. Now it's going to get done in three. Okay? The, the temple has already been pre-built as in, as in storage. These guys, it's on, you have to know, I'm going there in just a couple months again. I'm working on a documentary. Um, I just came out with it called, uh, Secrets of the Sacred Incense, where they, I'm interviewing people here soon, the people who actually found the incense that you put in the golden altar during the days of Solomon and during the, the temple of King Herod. They have found that in a cave. It's the actual incense. They tested it. It is the 11 herbs and spices that the Bible said it had to be made of. And as they dug out the 900 pounds of it, a coin was in the middle of it from dated 67 AD, which means it was three years before the temple was destroyed. All right. There was a copper scroll that was found in 1952 that was a map. It was decoded to tell them where the caves were at to find this. The reason this had to be found is because also buried in that cave is supposed to be the ashes of the red heifer, and those ashes are to be used to dedicate the third temple. So what's happening is we're in a collision course with biblical prophecy, the anger at America, the hatred of Christians and Jews, anti-Semitism is rising. Look at the UN. It was 14 to 1 on the on the uh, Jerusalem thing, but it doesn't matter. It's going to happen and the Antichrist will get in position at some point. I believe, though, that the Trump victory pushes everything back 20 years. It sets it back 20. I could be wrong, though. If he doesn't win a second term, man, this this date of 2030, where we would be under a new world order, is really a real 
possibility. I, I can say that right now. The election of 2020 will determine whether or not we're under a new world order by 2030. I, I really think that. Well, it's, uh, either way, as fast as time has gone, uh, for all of us here at the Hagman Studios, that's like right around the corner, a blink of an eye away, uh, you know, 2030, as we're already in 2018. Keep doing what you're doing. I mean, the Hagmans are awesome. You guys are, you guys are leading the charge. I want to say it right now. Leading the charge in alternative media. There's no question. Uh, the work you I don't know. Pastor, we're following your lead, let me tell you. Um, you're really the premier, uh, in my view anyway, the, the premier program that really matches biblical prophecy with current events. And we do follow your lead. By the way, what do you have coming up? We only have a couple of minutes left. What do you have coming up here in the near term? Conferences, uh, appearances? You said you're going to uh, Israel? Yes. Yeah. But I'm going to do some, uh, I'm going to be speaking in Florida. At, is called the Freedom Conference, uh, and uh, it's going to be held at Lady Lake, Florida, coming up February 9, 10, and 11. That's down by the uh, villages uh, called the Freedom Church, Freedom Fellowship. And uh, I'll be speaking on Prophetic Letters for America. This is a very patriotic, prophetic conference. And uh, so that's coming up in February. In March, I'm going to be uh, uh, in... Oceanside, California one night. I'm going to be in uh, Knox, Indiana for our three-day conference. I'm going to be in Dallas, Texas later in March. I'm going to be in Ohio with you guys uh, in Canton, Ohio in April, and then in May in Colorado. Hey, look, my schedule this year is incredible. I am going to Israel, though. And, guys, I want to say this. Besides, I'm going to Israel in late May, early June with Heidi to do filming for another documentary and for television shows. It's in October that my first ever Paul Begley Israeli tour, the 70th anniversary tour, we're calling it. And it's, uh, you can sign up for it. Go to my website, sign up. We're going to take a hundred people to Israel. We're using the same tour group that Perry Stone does. This is a first class tour and we'll have speakers there in the evenings during the buffet meals we have. This is an all expense, uh, deal. It's a great deal. Reduce the price. It's a great deal. So come with me to Israel, everybody. October the 8th through the 18th. I'll baptize you in the Jordan River if you want. We'll take communion at the Garden Tomb. We'll take a boat ride across the Sea of Galilee. Go to the Temple Mount. You're going to see it all. Stand on the Mount of Olives. You're going to see it all. It's going to be the greatest tour that we've ever... And we tailor-made this. Heidi and I have been there enough, guys. We, uh, we've been to all the sites. So we tailor-made this tour. And the travel agency worked with us to put it together to make it the ultimate experience. It's the 70th anniversary of Israel historic tour. Be, go with me. Well, that's awesome. That sounds like so much fun. I'd love to be able to go. Wow. Um, oh, I love you guys to go. I, I love, I've never been there, and that's always, that's something I want to do before I die. So one of these years, maybe, and, and hopefully it's a it's a wow. Pastor Begley Israel it's tour. Yep. It's got to be a Pastor Begley tour. I mean, it's got to be, okay? Mm-hmm. It's just got to be. Uh, yeah, it's like it's don't like the, the don't tr- wait around. Okay, don't wait till twenty thirty. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The uh, Paul Begley, the terrestrial uh, love boat, the the captain of the. Well, <laughs> that might be a bad uh, analogy, but no, you know what? It's it, w- it would be fun certainly to uh, to be a part of that, and we're looking forward to being with you in, as you said, in Canton, Ohio, in April. So that's going to be a great time as well. My goodness. That'd be awesome. 
I mean, that's Occupy. Uh, uh, Coach Dave Dabemeyer is the host of that. Occupy 2018. I know that the Hagman's going to be there and John Robinson's going to be there as well as myself and Ellie Marzuli and Russ Dizdar and, uh, Mike Spalding and Bill Frieder. Is that the Bill Frieder? Who's the, which Bill Frieder is that? I don't know, Pastor. I'm unfamiliar. Uh, I don't know yeah. why, but Bill Federer. Um, we had, we've had him on our show. Yeah, he's pretty we good. I've about him, but I've never met him, so I look forward to that. Yeah, uh, it, who else? Who's this Trump guy? Wait a minute, who's Mark Trump? That's uh Donald Trump's illegitimate I know, I look, I don't I seriously I don't know. Um I I'm looking at that. I don't know. Okay. I I I apologize. They've uh, added some people since we last looked yeah, at this. Yeah, I, I looked at that and <laughs> So we'll have to we'll have to check it out. Oh, Pastor. Oh, I love you guys. Oh, man. Well, well, brother, hang in there. Um, yeah, Samantha B. That, that's still just rocking my head. Doug, and then when you do, you'll be so angry. You'll want me to come back on after that. You just will because I, I don't want to make you mad. I want your blood pressure to go up, but it will make it happen. You will, you won't believe that this was a segment and I had no idea what was going to happen. We weren't, they never asked us. They used our stuff. They do what they want. They can do what they want, I guess. But wow, what a blast! It was blasphemous. That's what it was. Yeah, and, and that's a shame. Yeah, in normal times, I, I want to gouge my eyes out when I accidentally look at that program. But this is just going to be something much worse, I'm sure. Uh, but Pastor, thank you so much for your uh, for your courage, for your tenacity. Your uh, hey, you're leaving a mark. I'll tell you, you're leaving a mark out there on the uh, uh, globalists. That's 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 absolutely for sure. But thanks for coming on. Appreciate it. Appreciate the invite, guys. Enjoy All right. And, and tell Heidi you said hello, and uh, God bless. All right. All right, man. That'll do it uh, here as we wrap up this program for this Monday. My goodness. Uh, you know, that's the first time I heard about that, the uh, Samantha B thing. It's just, yeah, I didn't hear about that either. And I'm excited to go you. watch and see what the... You know, again, I, I've seen her, unfortunately. and It's just... I. Yeah, well, you know, people are losing their minds. I, that, that's, I really truly believe that people out there are losing their minds. But I'll tell you what, to avoid that, tune in to my show in the morning, 9 to 10, Joe from John, and from 2 to 3, Global Star Radio Network, Blog Talk Radio. And then, of course, join us back here, our flagship program, 7 to 10 p.m. tomorrow, 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time. God bless each and every one of you. Thanks so much for your support. Hey, Patreon, visit us on Patreon, support us on Patreon as, as well as you can. And uh, with that, good night.